podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 374th edition of the Boxing Asylum Notes podcast. I'm your host, Steve Wellings, and joining me on the call this evening, we have Gabe Lewis, Andy Patterson, Ozzy Smith, and rapping Rob Kelly. Good evening to you all in the chat. Just having a look through the old chat there. Lee the Alcoholic Frotch has just appeared. Banana Rama. Ricky Gravel, hopefully he's not putting any videos in there. Boxing Channel, Mark Boxio, Dan Sambuck and William Kernahan. Welcome to anybody else as well who's joining us throughout the week on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. We go live on YouTube every Sunday evening from 8 o'clock. The Patreon RSS feed updates shortly after the show concludes. Also, haven't mentioned this in a while, don't forget if you're on any of the platforms like iTunes or SoundCloud or anything like that, then don't forget to leave us a review because it boosts up the old algorithms and tells them that you love the asylum. And throughout the whole month of May, Andy, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. I know you've left a review as well. How are you holding up this week, sir? I don't know, bad mate. Uh, caught up with the Last Dance uh, documentary series. Uh, I dare say Jordan were picking up awards for it and stuff. Um, good soundtrack. I don't know if Rob's down with it and stuff. I did think they missed a beat though, because obviously with the, the lockdown and that, and you've got all these NBA fans saying that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, and then Jordan just just, just decides to release this ten-part episode. So you could really put in the Roy Jones song there. You almost have forgot, you know, because uh, it made people people remind as to how fucking good he was. Just an absolute cerebral assassin, man. I mean, there was nobody as driven as Jordan. Jesus Christ. I, mean, I was like a lad, a young teenager at the time, and he was, you know, blowing things up and that. But just to watch that back and stuff, it was a. Uh, I don't think there's anybody, you know, you say social media and stuff like that. How that guy just became everything, man. It was absolutely insane. So yeah, I've been watching that, a few fights and stuff. So uh, yeah, try to keep busy, but it's getting boring. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm pissed halfway. We eat all the time now, actually. So something needs to change here shortly, you know. Something needs to change, change, and he needs to go on the old fast there. Talking of phenomenally driven athletes, Gabe Lewis is back with us. He's been running up the hills of Texas over the last couple of weeks. We finally got him back down to earth again. How are you, Gabe? I'm good, Stevie. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. What have you been watching? Any boxing? Any any pornos? Any soap operas? What's been going on in the Lewis household? Um, yeah, I've been watching uh, a lot of Mikhail Kessler fights. So I went back in the collection there, and I actually got an upgrade on, uh, oh, god damn, he fought a Mexican kid. He's uh, a champion for a little while. Uh, I can't remember the fight. Anyway, finally found an upgrade of that, so I watched it, and uh, that's pretty much pretty much that and just some odds and ends. I uh, had a few um, Jorge Paez fights. Guy was a pretty colorful character, so and he was pretty good to watch. So, uh, got a few of his sh- uh, few of his fights in. Just like I said, odds and ends mostly. Gabe, keeping busy over there, thankfully. Also rapping Rob Kelly. As I introduce you, Rob, you'll be pleased to know a familiar face has appeared in the chat room. I haven't seen this fella for a long time. Dom McNamara. I'm sure you'll agree with me, Rob. It's great to see Dom back and fighting fit again. Definitely, definitely. Good man, Dom. Dom Juan DeMarco McNamara. Hey, you, Rob. Yeah, chillin'. Good to hear, uh, Gabe. Um, I thought he was going to answer and say what pornos he had been watching, though. Um, but judging by his fight taste, probably some Latin stuff. Um, Jorge Paez was a good good fighter. Yeah, ex- really excellent. What was his name? The Crown Prince. Crown Prince of Boxing. Or the Clown Prince of Boxing. Didn't he have a mad haircut? 
He did. He had several mad haircuts. He used to have kind of a different. He had the rat's tail going on, which was big in the eighties. If you wanted to be a tough guy, and then he had like the the experimental lines and that. He had his hair like a tiger one time and chunks like a tiger as well, if I remember. Um, good fight on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. Him and Troy Dorsey. Troy Dorsey used to be a kickboxer through serious amount of punches, volume puncher, and uh, it was a good little battle. That that's on. It was on ITV back in the day, as I remember. It. But um, yeah, that's a good one worth checking out. And yeah, just been watching bits of. I watched uh, Bruno Tim Witherspoon Ooh. in Wembley the other night. Uh, well, I wasn't in Wembley, I was in the house, but the fight was in Wembley, uh, which kind of dispels the myth as well that Eddie Hearn is even an Ed. How are you, pal? Um, that he brought back big time boxing to the fucking UK. Big time boxing has always been in the UK. Fucking Sugar Ray Robinson fought in fucking London in the 50s. Fucking Ali fought fucking Harry Carpenter. Fucking. Uh, Hager fought Minter over there. You know, Witherspoon came to Wembley. James Bonecrusher Smith came to Wembley. Big nights for Bruno. Lennox Lewis and Bruno was fucking the big. So yeah, they didn't no, bring. Yeah. yeah, they didn't bring fucking bring big time boxing back in. Big time boxing's always been there. But uh, Witherspoon Bruno, hell of a fight, by the way. Hell of a fight. And uh, just a bit of kind of, I don't know, there was something about Frankie just self-destruct that just the moment where you think he's, he's that was going to be his time just a lack of i don't know now or something we were very big powerful guy but just in terms of holding and just a bit of ring iq and cuteness he kind of fell short a couple of times but that was a hell of a fight man good, good one to watch back and then i came back up to lenares lomachenko mm. um, which is you know we don't have to speak about that anymore but i like watching it just from the technical aspect and uh, not much else, dude. Just looking forward to the middleweight tournament for tonight. And uh, no, I fell asleep. Chukwu has come up with this. He's here. He's here. I'm going to sleep with this list. This is a serious list. So uh, watch out later on. Not to dwell on it too long, Rob, but just to say that Tim Witherspoon was a serious fighter as well. He was an he was an excellent fighter, I thought, Witherspoon, and he was one of the ones who got shafted by the main man, Don King. I think there was a story King promised him like a million dollars, and then he rolls up with a hundred thousand dollars in cash in a suitcase, and he's like, "That's all you're getting, son." <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, King would have taken them all for rinsing them all at the time, but it didn't um, hurt Don King that all the boys were on the cocaine, Witherspoon included. He must have been taken up Witherspoon because he popped straight after with the world title, didn't he? And he was on a suspension at the round of time Tyson came. That's kind of why he wasn't a Tyson opponent. I think he was banned or serving a ban at the time where he might have to give up the WBC title to maybe for Barbic to win it, I think. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. Um, he was actually over in Ireland a while back um, working with Oshin on a show where they had celebrities box for the first time. Mm-hmm. And Witherspoon was training one of them. I can't fucking remember who's in it. Like, lads off Fair City and all, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, Witherspoon was over. Supposed to, like, a like a pint of Guinness as well. So he does. So, uh, yeah, legend. Very good fighter. Very good heavyweight. Yep, certainly was. Last I heard of Witherspoon, he was boxing against Nigel Rafferty in some kind of EBF exhibition in Goodyear's Pavilion in Wolverhampton. So, still going strong, thankfully. Still going strong. Also going strong, Charlie's answer to Jorge Paez is in the... He's in the panel here as well. Last but by no means least, Ozzy Smith. How are you, Ozzy? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm keeping well, actually. I'm keeping well. What have you been watching this week? Um, not a right lot. I've been getting out and about, as per. Um, trying not to stay in, to be honest. A few bits and pieces going, still working, Monday to Friday, so it keeps you busy. And then uh, pretty quiet bank holiday weekend. Looking forward to a bonus day off tomorrow. Uh, watch the fight that we're going to review uh, later on earlier today. Enjoyed that. 
And then we've obviously got some excellent action that we can talk about next week from over in um, over in South America. Absolutely, the Bolivian nightmare. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, actually, Ozzy, as we get the pod off up and running, I saw yeah. Jose Ramirez talking on uh, social media or one of the websites about a possible fight with Jack Catchell, someone who I think's career stalled. You're obviously closer to Catchell than most of us. Ramirez is saying, no, he won't be fighting Catchell at all. He wants Josh Taylor as and when he gets past Victor Postol. So it looks like Catchell's career could be further stalled when we get ready, when we get you know back after this uh, corona thing. Yeah, I don't know where that's going to work because I know both mandatories have been called. Uh, the postal one was put in line first and then from what I've seen, read and heard, the winner of Postal and Ramirez has to fight Catterall. Now, I understand um, naturally a unification can take priority. Uh, whether that be the case, it, it may well be. Um, of course, he's a mate of mine, so naturally I want to see him get his opportunity, one that he has bided his time for, without a doubt. But at the same time as well, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of seeing uh, unification bouts as well. And it could be one of the only times we may well see a unification bout. That's saying, if he was to wait, um, you could have Taylor Ramirez for all the belts. And then, obviously, Taylor will get rid of uh, his mandatory fighting. That, is, it, is, is it the Thai guy? That he was fighting up in um, up in Scotland, yeah, Kong Sang or something like that. Yeah, so th that's going to go ahead. Uh, Ramirez will fight Postal as well, so they both have their respective mandatories. Then look, if if someone brings a wheelbarrow load of cash to Catterall and said, "Look, here's a contract. You will fight the winner of Ramirez and Taylor for all the belts." It wouldn't be the worst step aside, would it? Really, you, you can still tune up. Um, you you can know that essentially you'd have another tick over fight and you'd know then going into your next fight would be for all the world titles. Not many fighters can say they could, uh, one, have that, you know, set in stone and two, fight for a world title itself. So look, I think seeing world titles defended is a long way off at the moment. I think we need crowds for that. They will generate the funds. Uh, I don't see them happening behind closed doors. But it's going to be interesting to see. As I say, I hope he gets his shot. Uh, I certainly think after he came onto the scene, didn't he, obviously, and had an excellent start and then went through a bit of a, a nothing phase fight in a few, you know, just non-existent fighters, um, cleaned up domestically, uh, and, and that's about it, really. So, fingers crossed he gets his shot, but I see in the, um, the unification as well. Andy, talking of fighters who have fallen off the radar, one person going into the WBSS final who looked like he was on the way up, got outboxed comprehensively by Alexander Usyk, was uh, Murat Gassiev. Abel Sanchez is talking up his uh, debut heavyweight. I mean, what have happened to this guy? He struggled with injuries. I think he probably needs a good run of about three or four fights now against decent opposition. Obviously, once we come back from this whole, this whole business. But, I mean, Gassiev... He was someone who was on the way up, and Usyk did the business on him, Andy, and he's yeah. just completely fallen off the, the radar. Yeah, Sanchez was it mentions that Ruiz, Hellenius, and um, the pole. So, you see them? Kwanaki, I think it is. Um, to be honest, it's just like to see guys there back in the ring, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, as you say, he's, he's never been anywhere to be seen since Usyk. Uh, well, not destroyed them, but mentally destroyed them, I think. And obviously, I think he had the injury as well. So, really, he's been at the ring now 
well, by this point, I suppose the way we're going in that will be two years before he even gets back in angle. But over over that as well. So, um, as I say, it's just like you see him fighting. Um, I think even at this point, Ruiz would be a, a big step up for him and stuff. Some people were saying that he's more suited to heavyweight than what usually could be. Actually, I didn't see it. I mean, the guy's, you know, he's very basic as such. You know, he's he's you know he's very straight up, very come forward and stuff. I just think the big guys and that, he'll not get away with what he did to, like, say, Vidalcek, for example, you know, just walk forward and, you know, hammer the body and that. And, you know, guys like Fury would play with him and stuff. I think Joshua and Wilder would punch through him, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, even though if he's a, what, is a six, six, one, six, two type guy, I don't think he'll be able to kind of really compete with the top end guys and stuff. But again, as I say, it's just to be, good to see him back in the ring, I suppose, just to see what he's at and the, um, you know, see see how he holds the weight as well. But at the minute, I'm no I'm not proclaiming anything at the minute actually because uh, as I say, after that music fight, um, it's a it's a it's a long road back. And I just don't see him doing anything at heavyweight. To be honest with you. Thanks very much, Andy. Delighted to welcome our first guest of the evening on the call. It's Callum Johnson. How are you, Callum? Hey, doing, mate. I'm all good. Are you? Not too bad at all. How are you getting on during this lockdown then? All right, mate. All right. I'm uh, to be honest. I'm I'm treating it as like a as like a kind of a getaway training camp and I'm 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 dealing with it very well to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, are you relaxed? Are you frustrated? But you sound quite relaxed about it. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm, I'm not frustrated. Um, I don't know. I couldn't say I'm relaxed either because you know obviously I'm I'm anxious on when things are going to start and when yeah. I'm going to get my European fight and things like that. But at the same time. You know, it's out of my control. So when, when something like this happens, it's, you know, obviously we're, we're, it's never happened in our lifetime, but when things like this happen that is out of your control, what is the point stressing about it? Because at the end of the day, it's going to get you nowhere. It's going to do you no favours and all, all it can do is do you more harm than necessary. So I'm like I say, I'm kind of just trying to keep myself right. All I can do is control what I do, which I am doing, and, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I was going to say you've been training away at home as well, getting on the uh, gar- in the garage on the bike as well. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've converted my garage into a gym, so you know I've got everything there. I've got my bike, I've got my what bike, I've got my bags, my weights, and, and like you say, I'm I'm putting in some good work and I'm keeping myself very very fit. Um, in in some senses, I, I could say I'm training better than I ever have done before. You know, in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, the boxing side of things is not quite, you know, up to where it needs to be. Um, but it's still, it's still very good, all things considered. And, and you know, like you say, I'm making the best of a bad situation, really. Yeah, I mean, you're still quite a, a fresh fighter. Do you think whenever boxing resumes, you'll be ready to really go for it, have a good run and end your career with a bang? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's my plan and that's what I intend on doing. And, and that's partly one of the reasons why I'm staying so switched on throughout this lockdown because, you know, although I am fresh, you know, I'm not getting any younger and, you know, I am, I am getting on a bit, but, but I am fresh and I am, I am, I have still got the best couple of years in front of me, which I'm, I'm convinced of that. So, and as I say, the reason why I'm staying so switched on is so when that phone does go, you know, I can say, yeah, I'm ready. I just need a couple of weeks sparring, a couple of weeks of sparring and pads and I'm ready to go. So when the phone goes, are we expecting to resume where we left off? Igor Machalkin, hopefully European title? Yeah, I believe so. As far as I know, I've not heard any other. Uh, whether whether it'll still be for that title and still that opponent, I mean, I've not been told any different. But again, 
I'm, I'm like you guys. I, I don't really know what's happening um, or when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But as I say, all I can do is just make sure I'm fit and ready. So. Yeah, obviously you won't be looking past Michalkin as and when that fight happens, but I noticed that it's been mentioned, the scrap between you and Alexander Gvozdik. I mean, that would be something that would interest you down the line. I've not heard that been mentioned, to be honest. Wait, has that been mentioned yet? Yeah. yeah, on Twitter people were talking about it the other day. Oh, have they? Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, of course. Listen, any of the top boys. I mean, my, my my aim is to get back in that world title mix. And, you know, obviously, McElkin's a top-class top fighter and he's, he's somebody I couldn't look past because, you know, he's the kind of fighter that would turn you over if you look past him and, mm. and he wasn't on, on top of your game. So, you know, my number one focus is obviously on, on that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, something like that would be, I'd jump at the chance, it'd be, it'd be a, you know, it'd, I'd jump at that fight just like that, you know what I mean? And, and any of the top boys, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, as you say, I've got a couple of years left in me, um, top years, and I want, I want to get the biggest and best fights possible and, and try and, you know, try and win a world title because that's what I want to do. That's, I'm not good enough, you know, I've always known that, Um I've just got to try and uh, try and make it happen. Absolutely. Just to remind our listeners, Callum Johnson's on the call at Callum the One over on Twitter. Uh, you and Gavosdik have both obviously been in with Artur Baturbiev. Looking back now, you had Baturbiev on the rack. Didn't quite get rid of him. How do you look back on that fight now? In uh, hindsight, um, I wish I'd have believed in myself a little bit more. Uh, I think back now, and although I always believed that I could win the fight. I think I doubted myself far too much, um, especially in fight week, you know, kind of when reality struck. Mm. It'd be like, it was like I was out in America and all the press was happening and some doubts started creeping in a little bit and I think I, I let the occasion get to me too much, if I'm honest. Um, I know that would never happen again. Um, but that, that, that's, that's the regret I have, really, doubting myself too much because I do feel that impacted my performance a little bit. Um but then, you know, you can say I had my chance and I never took it. And then you can say, you know, the first round knockdown, you know, took a lot out of me. And, you know, it was very, uh, <laughs> let's be honest, it was the ref shouted stop and he, he, he knocked me into next week. So, uh, yeah, protect yourself at all times. I, I get that as well. But I did genuinely believe I was safe. So, you know, a little bit of a mistake from me and, you know, a little bit of a mistake from the ref or... Whatever it is, what it is at the end of the day, you know, the better man won on that night and that's all there is to it. Um, you could say he, he's obviously the better man anyway because at the end of the day, he's, he is the number one in the division. Yeah. He's, he, he's gone through everybody he's ever boxed. Um, obviously, I am the closest coming to beating him. Uh, Vojdik obviously did well, but I don't feel as though Vojdik really, although he did well and he, he won a few rounds, it was... Better be have never really looked out of his comfort zone. No, I agree. He, kind of, yeah, he kind of was in control at all times, and he, he, there was times in the fight with me when he wasn't in control, and he did he did look out of his comfort zone. So, you know, yeah, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? You know, I'd, I'd like to have another go just to see if I could do better, and I believe I could do better. So, I'd, I would like to get the chance again. A couple of questions flying in here for you in the chat box. One of the guys said, if a fight with Joshua Boatsy came before a world title shot, would you take it? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, my number one goal is to get a world title shot. Now, if I have to go through Boatsy to do that, then that's what I'll have to do. Um, 
that's a fight that I'm open to. I've said that before, and like I say, I say it again, it's a great fight, and I think that fight's going to happen regardless, me and Boise, because you know we're kind of there's a lot of people that sort of see us as number one and number two. Some people have opinions that I'm number one, and some people have opinions that he is. You know, some people have opinions that Anthony Yard is. So. But I think the black seat um, against me is obviously a fight that can be made easy, easier than the, the the yard fight because obviously the promotional side of things. But again, you know, my, my number one um, concern at the minute and, and, and thoughts at the minute is obviously on the European title. And, and until that, until I've got that, I can't really think about anything else because you know, if I don't win that, you know, everything kind of you know goes upside down. So. I can't really think too much about anything other than that. Yeah, one of the other questions was regarding Yard, but you've pretty much um, explained yourself there. And obviously, again, you would take the fight. It would be messy, maybe promotionally at the moment. Yeah, of course. I think I think the Yard fight is uh, one that was going to be very hard to make. Um, I don't think because of the fighters. Again, it's it's hard it with two different promoters and things like that. Um, I'm sure Yard would fight me, and I'd fight Yard. So it's not. I don't think it's a case of the fighters not wanting it, but you know, TV networks and promotional deals and and all things like that. So I think the the fight with me and Bawatsi obviously makes more sense and is obviously going to be a lot easier to make when when the time comes because there's no there's no conflict of interest from different promoters. Yeah, a couple more questions for you, Callum. You've been t- keeping in touch with Joe Gallagher and the team during lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're all in the group chat, so we're always chatting in the group. You know, when I've spoken to Joe, I'm always on the phone to Joe. I probably speak to him once a week, twice a week sometimes. So, you know, we, we keep in touch anyway when we're not in the gym because at the end of the day, away, away from the gym, we're friends as well, you know. So it's and not only that, he's always checking up how you are and not, not just training-wise. You know, he'll ring you just to ask how you are, how, you, how you're feeling, how, you, how you're coping mentally and, you know, just things like that, making just checking in on you. Obviously, you fought for a long time professional and way back as an amateur as well. What are some of the more memorable sparring sessions you've had over the years, Colin? Um, there's loads, really. There's loads. I remember the most memorable one ever for me is when I was 17. I went, um, a guy called Gary Booth, a guy who I know from Manchester called Gary Booth, he mm. took me and sparred with Ricky Atten. <laughs> So I was 17 and I went and did some rounds with Ricky Atten and obviously he wasn't he wasn't like trying to take me out or anything like that. But yeah. that was that was a great experience because not only that, he was he was like my idol as well. So it was uh, that's got to be the most memorable sparring that I've ever ever done. I'm sure it would be excellent. Uh, thanks for joining us on this Sunday evening at Callum the One over on Twitter, everybody. Any other social media that you've got there, Callum? Uh, just Instagram. I don't use Twitter that much, if I'm honest. Uh-huh. I don't. I, I use Instagram mainly. I'm always on that. I, I must get on people's nerves in that post, to be honest. But it's the same. It's at Callum the one on Instagram as well. The same one as well. Go and give him a follow, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Callum. I do appreciate it now. No worries, mate. Nice one. All the best. Thanks Thank you. Bye bye. Take it easy. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Callum Johnson there, keeping things real during lockdown. Aussie spoke well. Good, a little spy, Ricky Hatton as well. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, surprised surprised at that. I would never have said that at all. But obviously, I mean, Johnson's what he must be thirty three now. So it's what you're talking about, 16, 17 years ago. But no, he he came across really well. Um, I think he's a fighter that's massively suffered with inactivity for whatever reason that may be, whether it just be injuries and promotional or managerial managerial issues. 
Um, can probably agree. Look, he, he had Paterby of Hurt when he dropped him. I, I watched that fight back actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, short and sweet, isn't it? Uh, and Paterby have certainly was rattled by that shot. It was a big shot as well. And I think, look, he's right. Maybe the occasion, bit of an experience got to him. Uh, I think the fight with him and Joshua Boazzi is an excellent fight. Uh, one that I would love to see. And I think if there's ever, uh, Andy mentioned it in our chat, then if there's ever a time to make it, it's now. Uh, there's going to be, you know, extreme difficulty getting, you know, certain fighters over, uh, particularly with this two-week quarantine rule at the moment. So you either have, you know, your, your foreign opponents taking up camp over here and then we'll quarantine for two weeks and then we'll do eight or nine weeks over here. Or they run the risk of quarantining for two weeks and it's two weeks out of training camp. It's highly unlikely. So look, it'd be great if we could see Johnson against Buatsi. Buatsi's another one who suffered from mass inactivity at the moment. We don't really know why either. Um, it's been radio silence within. And I think we've always said Buatsi is... Eddie Hearn's biggest, you know, like prospect out of the Olympians that turned over. And and in reality, we've, we've not seen a lot of him. And going into that, I would probably make Johnson the favourite, to be honest. Um, he's operated at a better level as a pro. He's got more experience, can hit hard. Um, underrated somewhat, I think. I like Johnson. Um, he's a realist. I would take him in that European title fight. And then look, if a world title can't be made... I think a Boatsy fight or a Yard fight uh, would be excellent. A wee reminder as well, he won the, the gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. Games of course, in Poland. Yeah, mm. massively. Beat, massively. beat Tommy McCarthy, didn't he? Yeah, I was about to say, he beat an Englishman, a Welshman and an Irishman on the mm. way to winning the gold medal. So I think his dad is Scottish. Or I think his dad died, actually, unfortunately. But um, I think that's the reason why he ended up fighting for Scotland there, because he's uh, through his dad's yeah. birth and that. Eh? So, I know yeah. the guys who mentioned Boatsy. What's the crack yeah. with Buatzi, though? It seems he's had a strange career, hasn't he? Almost like they're not using him or under Yeah, him. well, anybody who listens to the pod, and I'm again repeating myself, but I'm a big Joash Buatzi fan. You know, he was in the, in the Olympics and that. He just, you can see he still was more suited to the pros and stuff, but I agree with you. He's been, I don't know if it's because he's with Joshua and that. I really don't know, but what is he? He must be late 20s now, and he's only had something like 12 fights. And Quinlan, Periban, Ford, this will float yeah. my boat. I mean, come on, he should be British champion, Benu. Well, he is. Well, he is, sorry, aye. But you know what I'm saying? I forgot about that. I forgot about yeah. he's British champion. But there you go. Back in the day, he'd be defending that title, Benu. Either, you know, he'd have shown that he was the best in, like, in Britain by beating other contenders. He'd be champion outright and moving on to European level and then world level and stuff. But we're just, we're just not seeing it. And I don't know what that is. I really don't know. He's fought a bit more than I thought I had. He had three fights in 2017 when he turned over. He had five fights in 20, six fights in 2018, and then three in 2019. So it's not mass inactivity. I think the issue is has been the level of opponent. I mean, they're bringing in Reynold Quinlan, you know, on like a couple of weeks' notice. And Paulie Malinagi said, I remember he was a Sky pundit, and he said, look, he said, why are you giving... Quinlan two weeks notice, give him a full camp and Boatsy would still smash him to pieces and he criticised the matchmaking that Ryan Ford was brought in to fight Anthony Yard about four or five fights ago and that was slated and he was brought in to fight Boatsy the Periban fight was was poor washed up Periban going up to uh, um, up to light heavy um, the, I don't mind the Conroy fight it, look it's for the British title 
if Boazzi wants to win that. I have nothing against that. Um, I don't know if he's vacated that British title or not. Um, but I agree. I, I would rather see him, you know, like rattle through domestic level because there's good fights to be made. Yard, Arthur, Johnson. Especially now. Especially now there's it's just fights to be made. I mean, light heavyweight in this country, and like you, sh you should hopefully, you know, considering the current situations and that, and if there's if the will is there by all parties, and I'm talking about Frank and Eddie and most of the fighters, didn't he, didn't he hide behind, oh, I'll speak to Eddie or speak to my manager and that, get the fucking fight made. Eddie's on record right now saying, you know, we can no longer make the weak fights. Okay, this is off the yeah. back end of the UFC starting back up. This is Eddie coming out there in the last, what, week or 10 days saying that. So come on. There's no fucking, there's no, there's no excuses now. Okay. I agree. I agree. I think it has to happen. Talking of no excuses, Gabe, hopefully you're still with us. Uh, the main man himself was out this week, AB, with a bit of gold around the chin. He wants to become a rapper, apparently, Gabe, uh, unless somebody drops a £10 million check his way. AB going into the rap circuit. <laughs> what a bunch of horse shit. That guy couldn't rap to save his fucking life, I'm sure. Come on, Gabe. Could, could AB some slack? Ah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'll, I'll be interested to see how, how it does, you know, because I think, like, there's this whole idea around music that is is long gone. And I'm sure we can ask our own Rob Kelly. He's an actual real rapper. Uh, but people have this fucking idea that you can just pick up a computer recorder track and, and make a ton of cash and that's not even nearly the case. I mean, right. Like, it's like I'd equate it to everybody thinks they can do it. It's something like podcasting. Every fucking idiot thinks that they can do it. But it takes kind of <laughs> skill and soul to compete at such a high level for such a, and be so consistent over such a number of years that everybody can't do it. But what I would say is I would have the edge on Broner in rapping, and he'd have the slight edge on me in boxing, but I'd have a more time... <laughs> I'd have more chance of getting the fucking 10 million for a fight than he would. <laughs> okay, 10 million. Give me a fucking break, baby. Oh, yeah. Get in the boot, baby. Get that fucking mixtape out there. Because that fucking 10 million is not coming. Oh, no, what no, there's no way he gets 10 million for fighting again. And we're pretty well done with him until, he, until his record flops, and then we have to see him back for another 2 million. Just to be a reminder as well, the ice that he's wearing is on Hawk or it's on loan. Oh, probably, yeah. Or it's probably not even real. Probably got a Christmas cracker last year or something. Probably Spanish, like isn't he? Off the beach. Yeah. In Marbella. Yeah. Looky, looky. <laughs> it's on the pawn shop. <laughs> oh, man. He can't even afford a haircut in quarantine. <laughs> I tell you what, I think it's a Rob. I'm loving the beard. All he needs new is the fucking, is, 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 the, is the Mohawk. It's like, I pity the fool who push all that jewelry. I pity the fool. <laughs> You know about that? You know that? What's uh, Mr. T's favorite yogurt? Pity for Lou. Fuck's sake. Right, Rob, let's, let's take you to more interesting areas here. The zone looks like it's struggling a little bit there. Hamed is oh. talking about the zone as well. Uh, Ed, you know, rightly, Eddie's going to wash his hands. Nothing to do with me, kooks. Well, Eddie was funny. <laughs> Big time boxing back in the back garden, Ed. And he was like, yeah, 
it's one of my lifetime dreams to hold a fight in my dad's back garden. I've always said from when I was a young boy, when I used to look out here, how great would it be to hold championship boxing here? Teach you fuck. Think that when you were a kid looking out at your old man's back garden, if you look to hold that fucking fight there, yeah, big fucking bullshitter. Oh, he didn't say anything, would he? Oh, fucking boyhood dream now to host a fight in his dad's back garden. Fucking hell. Oh, that's own, yeah. I mean, fucking hell. So, like, they, they need activity, don't they? They need to, they need a constant, um, um, upsurging new subscribers to keep their model going their model is going on market share and if there's no fights on um that's when we're going to struggle and um, hopefully we just get to see fight nothing but fights once this thing is lifted and they're kind of filling back catalog and and planning for the future we have to see we have to see boxing back and we have to see it back on tv but you'd have to think a year of inactivity say see if it got to the end of the year and there still wasn't fights on on the scale for them to get to get a return on investment, it could be quite difficult for them to keep going. But of course, that'd be nothing to do with Ed. Evening, Ed. Evening, Ed, indeed. Uh, Good evening, Edward. <laughs> get the butter out. Get the buskers out. Get all those spare coins and stuff. <laughs> you know? That's why he's come out saying this, you know, that he's part fault for all these uh, exp- you know, or exponential increase in... Wages and stuff. This is the guy who wanted to sign Charlo, Broner, Garcia, and all the guys. Well, he finally got Garcia and that. He was saying that he was overpaying Charlie. He claimed that the Charlos have been overpaid, right? You can see, but I'm offering them. So, aye, 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 you know, you've really talked yourself into a fucking you know, a situation that you need to try and talk yourself out of now because you need to try and convince your guys to take less money. And, uh, yeah, you know, Bob Arm was pretty much up front. Rather than what you are being actually be saying is, look, the big guys, you know, the big meaningful fights are not going to happen until uh, next year at least. So, um, yeah, best of luck to you. What well, they, what they, all, they all said, Rob, that he was coming in with this big paycheck and all, none of the guys that he went for, the Davises, the Charlos, even went across in the end. And they're, they're saying, oh, well, he pays Garcia this much money and he's doing great for boxing. They're all, all these Al Heyman advised fighters, Derevinchenko, they're all going over and taking the money. Uh, Danny Jacobs got a massive paid as well. They're all Heyman advised fighters. Yeah, Heyman, the Heyman guys are, are leading the charge for the overpaid fighters. Eddie's trying to bring up the rear. And um, fucking Frank is just paying fellas whatever he wants to. I don't know, man. Like the, When it gets to all this talk about network covering and fucking streaming and all this shit, like, I just... It's not like Harnett say anything. Like I said, he fucking say anything. So he he'll spin this now in a way that the fighters are going to have to understand that they've been. Yes. Remember, remember, remember what he said that UFC was a disgrace for trying to get fights up and, up and starting again. Then he's like, like a week later, but when it happens, not oh, they're, they're fantastic and stuff. You know, uh, boxing now needs to show the way that you can't afford any more weak fights. What a wanker! Yeah, like he'd say anything. So he's going to say now he was the very one saying when he was slating off his. Um, his competition say that if the fighters are not getting paid, fighters are not getting paid. And now his fighters are not going to be getting paid. He's going to be like, well, the fighters have to understand that they're not going to get paid. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's fucking say anything. Like, well, the Frank Warren and just say, I'll pay you in two months' time. The Frank, I wonder, ever look out his back garden and go, I dream the, the boy. Fucking Eddie's got one up on me there. I always dreamed of having a fight in my back garden too, but I never fucking thought. <laughs> Frank's had a lawnmower out for two weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Is he not paying someone else to do? Oh, uh, fucking Terry Marsh be fighting in the back garden. <laughs> Draining the marsh. 
Oh dear. Yeah, everybody knows my thoughts on the thing, but these people they keep making out Heyman as the devil or oh, he's the devil, Heyman, blah blah blah. Whenever he come into boxing, his main aim was to make sure boxers get paid. And to be fair to Eddie as well, he always makes sure his fighters get paid. I won't slag him on that. But Heyman gets his fighters paid well on time. And oh, he's the devil, you know, it should be more like UFC. And all these UFC fighters are fucking getting paid absolute peanuts. Heyman's the main man in boxing as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, Andy, we're not worried about that. Let's move on, shall we? As I ring up our guest number two. Um, we're starting to scrape the barrel here, but Chris Eubank Jr. apparently has been out training in Florida with Roy Jones Jr. So he might be doing little um, you all must have forgot hands behind the back moves soon whenever he comes out. Fair play to Eubank. I'll give him his due. He's gone off there during the lockdown. He's getting some quality advice, quality sparring, you know, whatever it is from one of the greatest boxers of recent years, Roy Jones Jr. Yeah, I've seen some videos and that. As you say, he's been there for a, you know, for a period of time and stuff, uh, learning kind of the feints and the slips and stuff that but end of the day, you know, we've, we've seen Adam. I, mean, I, I don't know what it is, but you know, I remember seniors saying, for example, that you know, you've got to get juniors respect, and he's been around quite a few uh, trainers and stuff. And end of the day, if if he can get the, if if Jones has got his respect, then then good and well. But you know, Jones, Jones is you know, he's a good fighter. We just don't know what it is as as a trainer. To be honest with you, I know he worked with Pascal for the I think it was one of the Kovalev fights, maybe the Hopkins fight. I can't remember. But um, yeah, he is a he is a a decent a decent a decent trainer. I would imagine you know he have a lot of knowledge to impart in that. But I just think whenever Eubank gets in the ring, to be honest with you, you know once once the punches start flying in that, it's um, he's how can I put it? He just kind of you know reverts the type, and it's just winging shots and forgets about the basics. I think so. Um, to be honest with you, I'll just I'll, I'll kind of hang fire on that because we've been saying this about Eubank for a while actually, about trying to get a dedicated trainer on that, and it's never really kind of uh, stuck, you know. So we'll wait and see how it goes. Excellent stuff, thank you, Andy. Delighted to welcome our second guest of the evening on the call. It's Mike Goodall. How are you, Mike? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, Owen. What are you holding up during the lockdown then? Just doing nothing, you know. It's uh, fortunately I've got another company and still doing a little bit, but the boxing wise, we're just doing absolutely nothing at all. Absolutely. I mean, you're known as boxing's hardest working man, so it's not really in your nature to relax. You're right. I, I haven't relaxed. I've been in the office every day. We work nine till two, but because uh, we've got a sign company as well, so we're still doing a little bit in that, and uh, it's, it's, uh, that's kept kept me occupied. Excellent. How many years are we on now then, Mike, in boxing? How many years have you been involved? Boxing? I got involved in boxing, uh, I started promoting in 1979. Wow. So a fair few years. You've seen some comings and goings then? Oh yeah, 41 years now, yeah. We, we, mainly, we mainly see you covering professional boxing, but do you ever extend into amateurs, white-collar kickboxing as well? Oh, we've always done that. We've always done amateur and, and kickboxing and, and white collar and everything. I mean, we started when we first started off. I started off doing pro shows, and we soon got into amateur as well because we were asked to to if we'd hire out rings to them and what have you. So we, you know, we we did. Um, it's something that uh, I think after lockdown we might not be able to do quite so much of, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, amateurs don't pay, want to pay very much because obviously it's very hard for them um, and now we've been through this and what have you obviously we've got to review prices etc which is, is one of the unfortunate things in life but uh, there you go yeah absolutely uh, most of us see you doing the MC and then you also put up the ring do the sound systems what else do they get you doing Mike? well I mean when you see when you see a ring on television 
we pr- we produced everything on that ring. The, the, the sign writing on the canvas, all the adverts all around the ring, we produce all that as well to go with it. I've got a sign company of which we now employ 22 people at doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, we do all the stuff in the signage world as well, especially vehicle graphics. But uh, um, 25% of our trade is our, is our boxing, and it comes to quite a fair bit. And we do quite a lot of that. You know, we're getting requests. We get requests. Uh, we're not at the moment, obviously, but normally we get requests to do canvases. I've got two guys who, who sign like canvases full-time, and they're absolutely snowed under all the while. Yeah, so over the years then, Mike, who are some of the uh, best fighter or fighters you've seen in all your years covering the sport? Best fighters? I hate to try and pick them out, actually, because... Yeah. You know, I've seen everybody in the last, in the 30, 32 years we've been, we've been a professional hire company. I mean, I've seen all the big fights, all the good fights, everything that's happened in this country. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot. So uh, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't like to pick out who's the best or what have you. I've seen so many good fighters over the year, over the years. Um, all the ones we've had in this country, the Benz, the Eubanks, the Bruno, the Lewis's, uh, everyone like that through the 90s, everyone through the 2000s. Now you've got, of course, you've got Billion White, you've got Chisora, you've got everybody in the heavyweight division, you know, and I've been with them all and seen them all, Carl Froch and Groves and everybody, it, you know, so very hard to say who's, who's good and or who's the best. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I saw you being interviewed, and you were mentioning the McLean uh, Ben fight being one of the best. You know, I know it's a tragic ending, but one of the best ones you were there at. Ben, ben McLean's the best fight I've seen live. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, and anybody in boxing that knows boxing will tell you that. Yeah. Um, I always remember Reg Gutter as the commentator from ITV. God rest his soul. Um, lovely fellow, big friend of mine, and he always said it was the best fight he'd seen as well. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and. People like that are no boxing, know what a good fight is. I see there's been some one or two discussions on Twitter this week over who's the best fighter of all time. And Michael Buffer put Sugar Ray Robinson, and I went without a doubt. They, you know, people who've seen his fights of that era, that was when boxing was boxing. Mm-hmm. When I learned, when I learned to box as a kid. Um, and when I first went into boxing, I was always taught it was the noble art of self-defence, not going in there and knocking someone, trying to knock someone out all the while. It was, it was, it was boxing was completely different. And if you watch people like Sugar Ray Robinson and what have you, they were boxers. They weren't fighters. They were boxers, and they were skillful and they were very, very clever. Footwork was good. Handwork was good. It was all about parrying shots as well as hitting the opponent and what have you. you know. And it was. It, it was a different era to what it is now. One of our listeners is asking you, Mike, uh, what t- sort of time scale is it to put a ring together, especially when you're putting up all the logos and the ring tops and all that? You know, how long does it take? Oh, it, it depends what the show is and what have you. I mean, I can put a ring up. Uh, we, you can put a, a ring up in, t- in a couple of hours. That's mm. not a problem. But when you're doing the big shows and you've got to get it right and you're only allowed in there at certain times to do it, you know, we have to work to a schedule. 
the sound and the lighting has to go in first and that has to go up and then we put the ring in and we have to get it up so as the scaffolders can build the, the camera tower and get it the right height. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a big program when you're doing a professional boxing. It really is. People don't realise what goes into putting into a show, you know. Yeah. When, you, when you turn up at a show at, at, at 7 o'clock at night, a television show, you've been, they've been in there since 4 o'clock in the morning getting that ready. Wow. I mean, yeah. the lighting and, and the, the lighting crews and the sound crews are in at sort of four or five o'clock in the morning, putting the truss in and all the rigging points and everything, getting it all done. And then when that goes up at nine o'clock in the morning, we go in with the ring and then you've got a, all the rest of it and getting it, everything done and the arena all built and all the chits eating in and barriers and barrier covers on and everything being done properly. It, it takes the whole of the day to do and you put up the ring in Saudi, I believe, for the Joshua fight. Yes, I had. Uh, funnily enough, we've only just got the container back uh, a fortnight ago. Um, we've had we had two containers out there for that. We had a forty foot container and a twenty foot container because um, we took uh, three training rings out there and the actual ring that they fought in. Um, on the, you know, for for the actual lodge itself. So we had four rings out there all together, and all the all the frames, all the bag frames for for training camps, etc. We built Joshua's training camp out there. We did everything. You got it's about job for us. yeah. You got about twenty rings, haven't you, all together? Um, in my warehouse at the moment, I think I've got twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry, there's twelve vans parked in the yard, which have all got or eleven of them have got rings in at the moment, and they, they all stop in there permanently. But the vans are all parked up and. Uh, We've had to stop the insurance on them, take the tax off them and everything at the moment because we're not being used. So, uh, you know, it, it, we've had to save it as much as expense as possible. Absolutely. The insurance on my vans, the insurance on my, mm. on my vans I've got 12 of them um, that we do rings in. I mean, that kind of, that's a thousand pound a month. Well, we've had to stop that, so, so save money for that while we're, while we're in this situation. Have you been contacted yet about starting back on the boxing? Um, I've spoken to one or two people about it, yeah. Um, I mean, I, it's, uh, I've been talking to the board and talking to promoters and what have you. It, it's going to be July before we see anything, and then it's going to be under lockdown conditions, obviously. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be, um, you know, no, no, no audience, and it's going to be behind closed doors. And I would imagine it will be for quite a, so for, for quite a little while until we get out of this. Yeah. Before the coronavirus came along, how strong do you think the sport was in Britain as a whole? Oh, it was brilliant. Listen, we were doing so well. We've got so much on the cards to do. I mean, we've lost a little bit of it because um, because of matching promoting in America and what have you. But, you know, they're still still doing quite a fair bit over here and they've got quite a fair bit on the cards to do this year. Um, and it was, going to be, it, should, it was going to be good. But unfortunately, we're, you know, what, what's going to happen now? I just don't know. Yeah. A final couple of questions for you, Mike. You had a bit of a lucky escape a while back when you hit some black ice. What happened there? Uh, we're coming out of Bristol. We we come up out of Bristol, and it was it was it was fine. It was just drizzling a little bit, and then suddenly I thought, Blimey, that vehicle moved a bit. And I thought it was the wind that moved it, and the next thing I know, it was just we were just going round. It was just a, a sheet of black ice as we got up onto this high ground and going down on a north-facing slope. It had just frozen over to black ice, and it just there was five accidents in 500 yards. 
and we were the first ones. And I just, it, it, well, I just lost it completely. It didn't get, I just couldn't do anything with it. It just went into the bank. Unfortunately, it wasn't a high bank. It was only a, a, a verge, right? But it hit that and it rolled over twice and over a ditch and into a field. And, oh, we were so lucky. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You must be on the road quite a lot, doing like 24-hour days and all sorts. Sure. I used to... I used to I don't do quite so much now as I used to, but when I was when I was in the because you know I'm a little bit older now, I'll, I'll, I'll get staff to do certain jobs and what have you. But when we were out all the while, every day of the week, one time we used to be out seven nights a week virtually. Yeah. Because um, there was boxing every night. You know, you used to have dinner shows on a Monday and and uh, Tuesday, and then Wednesday there was always boxing on a Wednesday midweek. Um, and and then, but it all moved to weekends. As television came in and come very involved, it all moved to weekends. So um, at one time, I was doing 120,000 miles a year. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, it's it, you know, it, it, one hell of a lot of mileage. It really is. Especially when you're in London one day and you're in Newcastle the next day and then you're in Birmingham the day after and Glasgow the day after that. You're doing, you're doing a few miles, I'll tell you. You used to do shows over here as well for Brian Peters, didn't you? The Irish shows? Yeah, he used to go over there and do all Brian stuff um, when he was promoting. In the early days, Bernard Dunn, um, Andy Lee when he first started. Um, and I was over there for for uh, for um, his, his girl's pro debut when she when she did that. Uh-huh. Um, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was, yeah, we've done, we done a few, been, been around the place a little bit. Absolutely. Just finally, Mike, back to the MC, and I bet you've seen it kick off in the crowd a few times over the years. Yeah, I don't do quite so much MC now, but in the in the nineties, two thousands, yes, we've had a few uh, we've had a few riots on our hands at times, which uh, fortunately we've been able to control a little bit. Um, that's the best of having the loud. Um, you know, you, you let them have it over the microphone and open open it registers a little bit and I've been very fortunate that it has a little bit over the years so uh, but uh, that's not what you want crowd problems you want crowd, crowd assistance not crowd problems yeah absolutely Mike absolute pleasure having you on I appreciate you giving us your time this Sunday evening no problem no problem sat home in the garden absolutely beautiful at the moment it is <laughs> lovely job stay safe out there Mike okay. all the best now stay safe yep stay safe bye bye Mike Goodall there, breaking up a little bit at the end, but we got the gist of it. Andy, he's been around the block, old Mike. Seen him at the Brian Peters shows back in the day. He's putting the rings together, and he's quite the character. Yeah, just when you mentioned the, um, you know, about the, you know, the shenanigans at ringside, and that there was one recently. But what one was it? Maybe he was, was on. He was on the. It was a BT show. Yeah, that's um, what I was it, trying. It, I thought it, he might mention that. I, I couldn't remember what one it was, but he was on there. He, it was it Billy Joe Saunders or was it Tyson Fury? I can't remember it was a huge fury, but he was on the he was on the he was on the mic in that he, he was roaring like fuck. He says, "Sit down." <laughs> I remember this. Who was, was the one who done box? like the West Ham? He fought McNe- Sammy McNess. That's the one I was oh, thinking. Oh, that's the one. It was, that's, that's, was, a, was it not a Box Nation show? No, I think I it was BT. Definitely BT. Because the cameras pulled away from it, and I'm sure Dempsey even said something about yeah. it. Yeah, it was McNess against Nicky Elliott's fighter. Was it Azinia Byfield? Yes, Azinia Byfield, that's the one, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. I, I remember that. He went, he bollocked. Sit down. The fighting's in the ring. 
not outside. Yeah, yeah I remember it was quality. I know it's, it is funny. And another thing Mike never liked was whenever they booed the away fighters national anthem. I think it was maybe Clinton Woods against Julio Gonzalez, and he was there shouting respect, respect, and everyone was booing the Mexican national anthem. What? <laughs> Oh, I'll tell dear. you what, though, it, it, it's little interviews like that where you learn so much. I mean, the fact that they're, they're in an arena at 4am setting up a ring and things like that to get it right, you know, so then, you know, like the lighting and everything else can go on around it. As he says, a lot of the time you rock up at, what, 7 o'clock, uh, things like that, and you don't even you don't even care about stuff like that. And, and next thing, they're all out, you know, we're... Like I said, working twenty four hours round the clock to ensure everything's sorted. So, look, he's got a market and, and he's nailed it. He's been going for years, hasn't he? Um, so every credit to him, every credit. I think his son Simon did a bit of MCing at one point back in the BBC days when Audley was on the scene. Uh, but he is there in the arena really early. I remember once he was having a snooze in the National Stadium about one o'clock in the afternoon. Obviously, the show wasn't due to start till about six. I think it was the, the late Paddy Highland running the show. And I remember tapping him and saying, oh, you fucking woke me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good little stadium. Uh, there um, we go. Let us move on then. Thanks Ozzie, to Mike Goodall. What you got to say there, Rob? Ozzy said seven o'clock. Fuck that noise. I made that mistake a few times going to the fight too early, man. Fuck that. I'm nowadays, I'm chief undercard and fucking main event. Well, nowadays, I'm nothing because... Um, some really good lads in the sport uh, can't hold fights here. Great bunch of lads. I'm not going to say anything bad about them, but there's no fight in Ireland for me to go to now for some reason. Why is that, Rob? Oh, some, some kind of... Uh, oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. I'm saying nothing about a great bunch of lads for the sport, but we can't have fights in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, um, let's swiftly move on. Swiftly move on, I think, shall we? Uh, Ryan Deal was in touch. He threw in, um, he threw in a question the other week, and he was following back up. He said Crawford, Crawford versus Porter, which Andy mentioned. Uh, I can't remember the exact question. I think it was uh, giving underdogs a chance in a fight yeah, or something. Who would, who, uh, Ryan who, who, says Crawford versus Porter was one of the fights that would be top of his list. Andy, so he agreed yeah. with you. We got it right. Yeah, it was like the question was when, who who would give a current pound for pound fighter a run for his money or a, or a good chance of upsetting upsetting them basically. I think yeah. I came up with that yeah. one. Yeah, no, you were spot on. Also, Andy Ryan threw in afterwards. He said, uh, another juicy one for you. How do you guys think an, a Usyk versus Gassiev rematch at heavyweight would go? We mentioned Gassiev earlier. Nah. Usyk would have to carry an extra £20 and Gassiev being more comfortable at the weight might give the 50-50 we were previously expecting. I wouldn't. I think we've seen what Gassiev is now. I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in, uh, rather me, but to me... Both guys are probably at a point now where they're slightly over the hill, but obviously Usyk's more closer to his peak. Both guys are having problems with injuries a wee bit, but I've seen Usyk recently, by the way, and he's looking very, very chibbed at the weight, shall we say. And and I go back to what I said at the start of showing that Gazev, it will be two years in July since he last fought. So, again, we'll just need to wait to see. I, I think, you know, what did Gazev do in that first fight? That he's going to do it heavyweight, and these are two guys that are not going to be cutting much weight at a rematch at heavyweight. So we've got to think it's going to be status quo for what happened in the first fight, in my opinion. Like, but 
I just don't get Gazi didn't even, didn't even, I was shocked as to how easy that fight turned out for the user. He couldn't cut the wing down. He couldn't cut oh, the wing. Oh, he gave up. It was like, it was like what? Yeah, I was like, I was like, I rewatched Mayweather against Canelo, a guy who mentally quit halfway through the fight and just seen see it out to the end. You know, so I, again, I, I was, it was for a fight that was 50 50, we all wanted to see. Again, as I say, I was shocked as to how that went. So how easy it was for Usyk in the end, actually. I was shocked. Considering how Breders gave Usyk such a tough time in the semi-final. Absolutely. Gabe, let's move on, shall we? Um, this talk of the lightweights maybe possibly fighting each other. I don't know what weight some of these guys are going to end up as. But anyway, we've got Devin Haney, we've got Teofimo Lopez, we've got Javonta Davis. They're all shit-talking. Ryan Garcia as well. It's quite an interesting quartet if we can get them together. Who would have thought out the four of them, Gabe? that your main man, Ryan Garcia, is actually coming out of it looking the better at the moment, or, or the least stupid out of the four? <laughs> well, that's like comparing fucking kids on the short bus, man. Fucking A. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That, that's a bunch of shit, to be honest. Um, I don't read any of them, and I don't think any of them are going to make it that far. If there was a tournament... Uh, I'd pick Haney out of the out of the group to win the tournament, um, <clears throat> but they're all a bunch of just a shit talkers. I don't see much value in anything they're doing besides that. I mean, they sound like a bunch of real window lickers with all their bullshit Twitter nonsense. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just part of it. I, you kind of expected this thing to happen with all this virus bullshit, you know. Um, I don't think it's unexpected at least on my end to, to hear all the nonsense but i would just like to see whenever the ability for them to get back in the ring is there for them to actually just shut up and do it you know um the only thing that's happened recently that i gave any notice to was eduardo and his uh, we can't put together weak bullshit fights anymore because that's been needed for some time um i mean that would be a great four-man tournament i, I feel like that would be you know, get some of the bullshit out of the way, uh, get close to unifying the division. Um, I don't see a problem with the tournament, but it won't happen. I think that's all just a pipe dream, and everybody who who is a fan of the sport knows it's just a pipe dream. It'll never really happen, so... Rob, I think Gabe's right. Unfortunately, it won't happen because of whatever reason. But I'm uh, hoping we get at least, you know, two of them coming together. And c provided he keeps his weight down and keeps his discipline, I think Javonta Davis is the best of the four or has the potential to be the best of the four. And it's and I say I've been relatively impressed with Garcia compared to the others. I think Lopez, he hasn't really done himself too much harm, but hey, and he's looking an absolute prick out the whole thing. But I think Davis is the best of the four, Rob. What do you reckon? No, I don't know. I would have said Davis um, a year ago. Um because I think he's been, he was brilliant in what he's done in the ring. I know we can judge him from the outside the ring stuff, and we kind of put him in the same class as Broner. But I think he's been better up to this point. He's been more consistent, and his in-the-ring performances have been very exciting. Definitely can pack a punch. He's definitely picked up one or two things off Mayweather from the training, some of the, some of the movements he's displaying, some of the defensive stuff. And he can crack, but he can't live that life. I don't give a fuck who you are, how talented you are. You cannot live that life and do it at the top level. And the difference between him and Ryan Garcia in particular is what they do in the gym. And I would, I'd favor Ryan Garcia to beat Javante now at this stage. I don't know, just something in there that tells me he's going to crack. 
Um, as he's not going to be able to stick to the wave. He's not living the life right. He's got too many outside the ring distractions. He's got a massive entourage. He's doing everything wrong. Whereas Haney's a bit more tuned in. Um, Ryan Garcia is more tuned in. And Tiafimo Lopez has done everything he said he was going to do up to this point. And I believe at some stage of the fight, he's going to trouble Lomachenko, even though I don't think he's going to beat him. But I think he can be the real deal down the line as well. Another dedicated guy. So I'd say the three of those at this stage have the edge on Gervonta where it counts because they're all at similar-ish talent levels. Maybe Teofimo Lopez is probably the less skilled level of the four, but has makes up for it with the vaporizer uh, hook. So um, I think Gervonta, yeah, he's going to fall apart at some stage. Honestly, hot, um, hot take, mate. Hot take. I don't yeah. think Lomachenko Lopez will ever happen. Because of this COVID situation, because we just we just found out that we just found out that Kelly Avenition is not going to happen now because of it, and Kelly's going to going to go up and wait. Yeah, maybe not. Like, well, that's going to be, maybe that will do him a bit of favour in the long run because maybe Lomachenko is too much for him right now. But um, I think Lopez has the potential to be the real deal. I think Ryan Garcia does too. David Haney as a fighter, I think he does too. Now he's training with Mayweather and that as well, isn't he? Like, so he's only going to get better. Um, but we need to see them. Like you said, at least two of them come together. We need to see them be fighting each other. There's absolutely zero point in the four of these continuing to go and fight fellas who are each other. There's no benefit to to the lightweight division. You've got four red hot young prospects trying to get in uh, to to edge Lomachenko out as as the lightweight king. Get him in there, like and let him let him scrap it out to see who's the best. Like this fucking delay. Like if 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 fucking. Devin Haney fights someone on the zone before the end of the year. Who's really going to give a shit? Like he's fucking fighting on YouTube cards and stuff. Like isn't he? He needs he needs a dance partner badly. Like Javante, same thing. Like big Showtime deal there, sitting on it, fucking fighting absolutely nobody. Garcia has just done the, the renegotiated the Golden Boy deal, so he's going to be getting a few gimmies. And uh, Tiafimo Lopez is in the frame to fight Lamachenko at least. Um, so maybe that'll be man down after that and it'll be left to, for the rest of them to fucking further delay um, coming together. No, I agree. Uh, MB made a good point in the chat that I was going to touch on as well. The styles match up nicely. They all have sort of different styles as well and different personalities. So they're all quite abrasive, outspoken. We're all outspoken here on the pod, episode 374. Gabe is still with us. So is Ozzy, Andy and rapping Rob Kelly. Before we go into the fight of the week and our middleweight tournament and then on to belly of the week, so we'll hit you with a question, Andy, from James Windsor, going all Japanese boxing on your ass. He said, how does Naoya Inoue compare to other Japanese greats like Harada, Nishioka and Hasegawa? Can he become the greatest? I'm assuming he's talking about Hosumi Hasegawa. I mean, you'd put Inoue probably above him, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm only a Japanese casual, but what do you think about that question? Yeah, yeah well, I, I forgot Gabe was coming on the so he'd probably add the, add the wee bit to it because he follows the Japanese scene. But <clears throat> So the question was like, would Inoue be the best ever the way he's going? He says, how does Inoue compare to other Japanese greats like Harada, Nishioka and Hasegawa? Can he become the greatest? Um, yeah, I think he, he can become the greatest. I mean, I would say the greatest Japanese fighter all times fighting Harada. Um, titles at flyweight and bantamweight. Hall of Famer. Um, beat Pong King Pitch for the title at flyweight. And they went up and he handed Edder Joffrey the, his first L. They could become bantamweight champion. So um, you know, it was you know, it was, it was tough as well. Um, 
who else? Uh, there was a young kid actually. He's like I kind of Salvador Sanchez type story. That is at Masiel Huhabi. He was like twenty three when he when he got killed in that. But he was another one with great talent, unfulfilled. Um, had something like thirty eight fights. You know, and beat um, Bentulo Gonzalez and among a few others. The guy that beat Walter McGowan, uh, the boy from Thailand as well. Yoki um, Gushkin, um, great stamina. Probably a claimant to the lineal title at one was it one oh eight, I think it was, light flyweight, beat Hilario Zarate, dominant during his reign, I think it was like three or four years. Um Uchiyama as well, uh, took a Takahashi Uchiyama, sorry, he was you know, numerous defences, WBA belt. Um beat Maura when Maura was coming up, I think he was undefeated at the time actually. Jorge Solis as well. Um Give a shout out to Yamanaka. I know Gabe will like that one. Um, big punch, big punch in Southpaw. Um, some great highlight reel knockouts as well, actually. You know, I remember is it Malcolm Tunsell? I think it was you know, he folded the guy up but according great left hand. Um and obviously the guy you mentioned there, Hasegawa. I think see Hasegawa actually for guys running about your age, your era and stuff, he was probably like the one fighter coming out of Asia at the time who was like, you know, he got her attention. I think he had like three weight world champion, first Japanese or first Asian fighter to become a three weight world champion. Oh, aye. He could. Um, i trying to remember who he beat actually off the top of my head. I, I know he got beat off, was it Linares knocked him out? Wasn't it Johnny Gonzalez? Was it Gonzalez knocked him out in one round? Is that who I'm thinking about? And then, I, I think he fought, um, oh... Montiel, Fernando Montiel, I'm sure he fought him. Um, oh, he got one... knocked out by Johnny Gonzalez. I just bought his record up here. Right. Um, he got knocked out by Montiel as well, yeah. So I think he went, it was a, he went up for 118 to 126, maybe, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, so as I say, his first Japanese, I think it was to win three world belts. Ah, uh, that's uh, three weights. Uh, and probably a shout out to uh, Yahiro, is it Wantabe? Um, very talented, you know, probably one of the solid ones, uh, super flyweights of his time. Um, lost his belt to Roman, Gilberto Roman, and he was, I don't know if it's true or no, but he, he was apparently had connections to the Yakuza as well. So I don't know if it's still mm. the case and that, but it was, um, you need to check that one out actually. But there was, I, I've looked for articles in this before actually, but I've never really got anything that's actually concrete. So uh, he's meant to be a member of the Yakuza. Um, shout out as well yeah shout out as well to uh, he's not a great of all time but uh, it's definitely exciting Yokohari Tushiari it was absolutely tremendous his fight with uh, the Thai fella Steve is it Singmachua oh Singmachua yeah yeah fucking great fight but on the topic itself anyway is I think he he's got to beat Harade in my opinion and he's he's there he's close to it because, but as you know, he's maybe you know, trying to get us right. Is a light flyweight, super flyweight, bantamweight. Is a three or four weight champion. Super flyweight is. I need to go and pull up his record. Give me a second. Uh, light flyweight, super flyweight, bantamweight. Right. So he's unified champ, bantamweight. Um, I just think weight could beat him. Actually, you think about who he's beat. So McDonald was was drained. Mm. Burnett, um, didn't beat Burnett. Who was it? Rodriguez. He was kind of like he was riding high at the time and got ice in two rounds. Uh, Denier, I'll be honest. I think vast majority of us kind of felt. Well, I know I did. I thought he was going. He was going to get smashed up, and he almost did. And fair play to me, hung in there. 
Uh, Piano got iced as well. Um, I just think he needs the, he needs the names, needs legacy fights now. Actually, I think like fights like Nery. Um, who else was he fighting? Uh, was it, no, Casimiro. They were going to say Tete, but then obviously Casimiro beat him, didn't they? I know Rico's moving down as well, actually. Maybe want to bring Gabe in as well. I know Gabe will have something to say about this as well, but um, yeah, yeah. obviously there's a lot of the unification fights as well. Who you got uh, Casimiro, as I say, and uh, probably one that we all want to see is uh, big, uh, the French guy, uh, Ubali. Uh, I think that'll be a, a bit of a oh, war, that'd be a good fight. That'd be a good fight, yeah. I agree with that. What do you think, Gabriel? Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you guys are on the right track with what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> I mean, currently to this point, uh, you'd have to think anyway is is going to be, if he never fights again, mentioned as one of the great uh, Japanese fighters just based off of what he's accomplished right now. But that being said, if it ends right now, he's not going to be considered the best. And I think the thing that that with that question, what you see is um, there's not a lot of familiarity with Japanese fighters. Uh, specifically, I think the problem is that most of the time in the past, they haven't really been guys to travel outside of Japan on a on a big scale, on a consistent scale. Um, and so I think that's hurt kind of the knowledge that most boxing fans have of Japanese fighters. Uh, and that's why you find so many people that are so quick to give anyway, such a, such a high ranking right now, but Japan has a pretty rich history of, of boxing champions and of really good fighters. And, um, I, I do think anyway has to have some bigger fights, and uh, I, I really would like to see him unified. To me, at this stage of the game, the way things have gone with so many belts and, and so many fights not being made, unification to me is almost become what world titles were years ago. Um, and, and I get that that's a little bit of an, uh, maybe an off way to say it, but... I feel like the way that world titles get thrown around so frequently, um, that they're not as valuable as they were. And so whenever I think about it, I think of a unification. That's a mark of somebody who was able to put some fights together, didn't use some bullshit politics to get out of it, and put us back against the wall and went for it. And um, I would like to see him do that. I would like to see anyway uh, get some unification fights like Andy said, I think the Luis Neri fight would be phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to see him beat the living piss out of Neri and retire his ass. Um, Neri's a drug cheat. If you don't know it, look it up. Twice, drug cheat, piece of shit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys listed off, uh, obviously, tons of names just in that little bit of great Japanese fighters. And uh, one of my personal favorites is, is Hazumi Hasegawa. He's just one of those guys that's fun to watch for me. And so um, I don't know that I would rate him as the best Japanese fighter of all time. <clears throat> I do think there are some other guys uh, above him. But like I said, there's such a rich history there. If you really dive into it, yeah, what anyways done makes him among the great Japanese fighters, but definitely not in the great test conversation. 
See, you get the, I just think he, names wise, I mean, what you got, I'll just put up the rankings at Bantamweight. So, you got Paul Butler ranked at three, and that's at the IBF, that's Inouye, who's got the belt there. He's got the belt at WBA, right? So, Regon does apparently come down to 118. Who wants to see that? Pfft, you probably smash through him. O'Balley's well, the fight, I think. Um, no, nah, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see if Regan Dow can, can capture a little bit of magic and give him something to look at because his box at 118 at 54 years of age. I want to see it as right. <laughs> I, I don't care what you guys say. I think it's a tremendous opportunity I, for both guys. And, and, you know, think about this. Him. If Rigondale wins that fight, that's a great fight for him to win. He's beaten a prime champion, a guy that people are tapping for greatness. Uh, but on the other hand, if anyway beats him, I mean, I still think it's a great win for anyway, despite the age discrepancy. You know, the, the problem is at this point now, uh, all those bullshit things people used to say about Rigondale is actually somewhat true now. He is a lot of high risk for not much reward because now if you beat him, oh, he's old. He's the leftovers of Lomachenko and all these kind of things. And he's had some tough fights since the Lomachenko fight, and, and he's been uh, shaken in two out of his last three and pretty badly. Uh, looked like he was could be knocked out, um, but he finds a way to right the ship. I think it's a tremendous matchup, to be honest with you. Anyway, I think has even better boxing skill than some people give him, uh, but his power's all there. So it's kind of one of those fights like we saw with Rigondeaux and Denair. You know, if Denair connects, it could be lights out. If Inouye connects, it could be lights out. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a tremendous fight. And maybe, again, that's because I'm a huge Rigondeaux fanboy. I could be uh, maybe overrating it and thinking more along prime Rigondeaux. You know, if there, if we ever saw a professional prime guy, um, you know, we've all known he's quite old since he joined up in the pro ranks, but um, I, I would be thrilled to see it, to be honest. But he's got a long way to go anyway to be the number one of all time, in my mm. opinion. I think Asian boxing would probably back us up saying that Harari would be as and still is the number one man. Um, it's good considering who he beat as well. It was diff different eras as well, but the champions back then, I mean, what Pascal Perez was a long-standing flyweight champ, King Pitch beat him and that's who Haradi beat. I think he, he lost it in the rematch. He went up and beat Joffrey who was like 60, 65 and I don't know what he was but so I think Inouye needs to have longevity as champion and make his home somewhere and just beat all comers. That's the only reason he's going he's gonna to do it and maybe go up but there's, there's no there's no champion at the minute who's either I can say long-standing or well known to so me, like I, I medley, I sorry, up at one twenty two. Navarrete is moving up to one thirty, I think, and Ray Vargas. I mean, come on, you know what I see that. Um, so you've got Casimiro and O'Bally is and Rigondo is probably your three names at the minute, and that would make him the man at one eighteen. So really, then after that, he's 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 no he's not only got a name fighter to kind of go for, so it's just really kind of about cementing his reign and just kind of like maintaining it really. Well said, Andy. Thank you. If Marcus Bellinger or Asian Boxing are listening, then give us a shout. Uh, put it in the YouTube comments if you have any responses to that. If you're listening in the chat right now or during the week on YouTube, don't forget to hit the like button if you like what we're doing or hit the dislike button if you don't. Let's move on to the fight of this week then, Ozzy. We shall start off with you, Edwin Valero against Antonio DiMarco, £135. It was the 6th of February, 
2010, feeling old already, over in Monterrey, Mexico. They had to do something with Valero. He was causing havoc in America. Obviously, he couldn't fight in so many states as well. So much more to this complicated man uh, than what he was doing in the ring. But let's deal with that first of all, shall we? Antonio DeMarco, proper, proper fighter. Uh, De Valero DeMarco, Ozzy, you putting your two pence worth? It was one-sided. It, it really was. I think I think it's fair to say that DeMarco was, could well be you know, Valero's toughest fight going into it. And and he just beat him up and he beat the will out of him. And I think it was round eight towards the end and DeMarco looked exhausted in the corner physically and mentally. His head kept dropping. Um, obviously, the it, you were just relying on a translator and they were basically saying, do you want to keep going? Uh, he went out, he lasted another round and the base at the corner just waved it off. Um, horrendous cut, I think it was round two, uh, caused by an elbow. Uh, one of the worst cuts I've seen that, and he's lucky uh, from where it was, you know, that it wasn't around the eye or anything. Uh, it was relatively high on the head and naturally, you know, and quite to the side as well. So blood wasn't, you know, like pouring into the eye. It was a bad elbow too, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah, I tell you, it was like a, um, it looked like DeMarco had done it on purpose. You know, the way it was That's thrown. what I thought. It got deflected though, wasn't it? Sorry? Did the shot not get get deflected and it kind of like came into an elbow? Yeah. yeah it, it, it seemed yeah. to, I don't know, it seemed to throw it, it to it the side, I thought. I think there was like, intent. Um, yeah, it was like, a, I don't know when I've seen, you know, like it was like a proper elbow shot, like a forearm type of thing. Because um, at first, the way it, <laughs> He took it well, eh? He did take it well. <laughs> he didn't really care. Yeah, they are on the deck. Yeah. Um, and he did well, look, because he was cut in the first round as well under his eye. Uh, and then he obviously got that the cut in the second round as well, which was horrendous. But it's like it spurred him on. Uh, he, and he thought, you know, he kept going forward. He landed at relative ease. He, he did take a few shots, but took them extremely well. And I never felt he was uh, ever in trouble against DeMarco. And um, look, um, it was obviously something that you experienced with the open scoring. Your experience with the open scoring. Um, and I think when DeMarco heard that, he had to change his tactics, started to come forward. And that just played into Valero's hands. It was an excellent performance. And it was just a shame. It was it was his last fight of his career. Um, as I say, they were talking on commentary about, you know, he'd really basically hadn't been noticed and he was noticed now. Um, and yeah, obviously other things happened outside the ring and that was him done and dusted absolutely Rob that's the thing about Valero the cut was so bad but the mad bastard seemed like he was almost enjoying it he made a little complaint at the time and then after that he was almost reveling in the blood coming down his face it added to his mad man image Rob sorry yeah um, you can hear me yeah can do yeah yep yeah. Yeah, no, um, I think you for, you kind of forget how good DeMarco was and how tough he was as well in that fight. I mean, yeah, definitely, Valero just looked like a raven lunatic in there. Even though he's better technically than a lot of people give him credit for in retrospect, you know, he was quite the, quite good on his feet as well, quite good at getting out and um, put the combinations together as well. Like, But, uh, yeah, the blood streaming down his face, like the wild hair, the wild look. Is that he's the commentator saying that he bumped into the two of them and he told them both that he didn't speak any English, but he was just like one of them said he just made the whistle. He was like, See him? 
and pointed to his right hand, like or his left hand rather. Um, so yeah, you know, it's fucking, it's a it's a tragedy what happened for the sport. Um, wild man with a wild ending to his life, but um, who knows what he would have gone on to do? Like, and a fight with him and Manny Pacquiao at that stage would have been absolute murder. Like, as it would have just been an absolute canies. Would have been brilliant to watch. Like, hand speed, power, just. A will to win, two fellas coming to fight. It would have been sensational. But the Marco hung in there. I think at the stoppage, um, he went back to the corner and they pulled him out. But just before that, he did really well to stay on his feet. He got clipped flush high on the side of the temple and he looked like he was going to go and then got caught with another couple of shots as well. So he did well to stand on, on his feet. But the corner didn't make the right decision pulling him out. I think he had nothing left. He was ever getting beaten out of him. That's the thing, isn't it, Gabe? Obviously, the tragedy. You see his wife and all that, and what he did is just, I mean, you couldn't even comprehend it at all. But after this fight, you thought the world was his oyster, Valero. A fight between him and Manny Pacquiao was something that we're all looking forward to seeing. I think Rob's right. It would have been an absolute war, absolute bloodbath. Valero wouldn't have backed down for anything. I think Pacquiao would have beaten him, but it would. It, it was the fight that I wanted to see. I, I know a lot of people at the time wanted to see it too, Gabe. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... Um... I don't even know what to say. I, I, it was, you know, a time where you watch this guy absolutely in the prime of a career. I mean, it seemed like he was going nowhere but up and so, so much potential, absolute, just pure potential. He was just raging all the time. Looked like he was cranked to a 10 when he was in the ring and and but he had this kind of control as well. So he reminded me of a bit of of Marco Antonio Barrera, that that he threw punches with just just wanted to crush people's faces. But it was also really well done, though. It wasn't like a, a some kid that just got picked up off the street, thrown into a ring. He had skill, and it was like this perfect blend of of ferocity and skill that this guy had. And, you know, um, like you said, I mean, tragically, it all came to an end. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I, I tend to believe that the greater tragedy was for, you know, his kids and his wife. And and that's a terrible story, a terrible event, you know, and, and you hate to hear that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I tend to think that, that the boxing was the, uh, I guess, least importance uh, in the whole thing, you know, uh, hopefully that his kids turn out okay. God knows what kind of uh, life that is to, to have to live, um, knowing eventually at some point what happened, happened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for that time period, just a great potential that you saw in the guy when he was fighting. And, you know, I think in retrospect, a lot of people have gone back and watched a lot of his old fights and, and – uh, you know, been able to pick up some stuff that maybe didn't air in the United States or or wherever home is at for any of the listeners. And it was just a tremendous fight uh, on his part, you know, badly damaged, comes in um, and just kicks into the gear and finds a way to fight through that terrible cut. And I don't know that you would see a lot of guys want to continue on with a cut that bad. I mean, that thing was was something awful. But just cruised right through it, kept on fighting, and uh, I don't know, man. It was it was a great fight for him. 
and you know he made DeMarco look ordinary and uh, a little bit lackluster. You know, and I think that was pretty interesting to see because up until that point, um, I'd always felt like the DeMarco that I had seen was fairly uh, was a pretty good boxer, not a great boxer, but a pretty good boxer and more of a more of a I guess a fighter style. Um, but solid, tough, rugged guy, you know, not somebody that's gonna fold like a cheap lawn chair when the pressure gets on. And he beat him down, he he wore him out. And he made the trainer take uh, DeMarco out of that fight. And DeMarco had, you know, some great fights. um, But uh, that was a great fight uh, for for Edwin Valero, especially at that particular point in time. And I really wish – I was one of those people that wish we would have gotten to see him and Pacquiao get in the ring. Um, I don't know that his skill was honed quite the way that I would like to see it at that point. maybe a little bit more experience on the top level um, than what he had, but I still think it would have been a tremendous fight. Yeah, it would be. If you're interested in the career of Edwin Valero, we're going in-depth at the moment over on patreon.com forward slash boxing asylum. I just put up an article on Valero's life and times. Uh, Me and Andy and whoever else wants to jump on as well are going to be going in on Valero versus Vicente Mosquera, which was an excellent fight in itself, Andy. But more to the point, this was the beginning of the very end for Mm -hmm. the madman Valero. Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, I've said it before, it's... uh... It's the question of what if and that, you know, but um, I just, I'll stick to the fight itself actually because, uh, you know, I just want to echo what all the guys are saying. I mean, there's no point in me kind of going back over what the guys were saying. You know, it's, uh, what, you know, it's the fights we could have had in that, you know, I suppose the one thing I could take for this fight at least in that, um, because this was really Valero's breakout fight to the kind of American audience. You know, it was like, Roman Gonzalez back in his time coming up, and that was one of the fighters, Valero, that you had to kind of rely on streams to kind of keep up with his fights because people forget he was unlicensed to fight in America because he was 19 at the time or whatever, and that, and he had to go and fight abroad. So the DeMarco fight was like, you know, the, the big opportunity. He came out to the ring, you could see him, he was you know, a quick blow of air, and that might be a bit of pressure because, uh, you know, I thought Bernstein, as the fight progressed, that you could hear him speaking that you know his boxing ability was understated uh, or overlooked at least because you know I think the group appreciates to how good he was because when he got cut, you say you know what did he do? Lots of people could have backed off. He actually went looking for the fight, and um, you know he was showing moments of boxing IQ, good job, trying to set up punches. He was fainting. You know, he was rolling, rolling, rolling underneath shots as well. You know, he was, you know, at times he was patient, other times he was ripping shots and stuff. But when he, as the fight wore on, especially when he started to kind of tune off with the left hand, I think it was around about the, um, yeah, the fifth or the sixth, I think it was, he was landing numerous shots and he was hammering the guy up and stuff. And fair play to DeMarco, I mean, he, he did he did hang in there, but I agree with Ozzy and that. I, I, I didn't give, I didn't give the DeMarco a round. I thought Valero went ever into that fight. You know, just the, the sheer pressure, even after the cut. You know, he set up this, the you know the standard in the first round. Even though he got cut under the eye and he got cut badly in the head, he just kept pressing. And there was moments and stuff, you know, people were saying, oh, he's got his mouth open, he's breathing heavy, he's struggling and stuff. 
Valero was just one of the guys. I, I don't know if it would have caught him in the end, especially as to how he how he parted and how he kind of carried on with his life and stuff. But he was how can I put it? Demonic is that even a word? A demon? You know, he's just one of the guys who was just an absolute outright savage man. He wanted to hurt your opponents and stuff. You know, even the sparring man. Go and watch Dougie Fisher's videos with is it Antion? Um, he said, "I'm going to go here and knock him out and stuff." That's just the, the mentality of the guy, man. He was just a the way track. he used to train as well. His legs, like I know he they say like right, he's struggling and whatever, but like there's so much spring in his step towards the end of the fight. He still had, he had great legs, like to keep. You know what I mean? Keep going, and he was gonna, he was gonna icy eventually. Like just bad intentions, like yeah. you said, a demon, like, but a demon to train too, like a demon to train as well, like absolute fucking, yeah, monster, like legs, legs, like like a, I don't know, unbelievable fighter, like. Well said, boys. Uh, you finished up there, Andrew. Yeah, mate. Good stuff. Uh, what about next week then, Ozzy? You have a special, a special oh, one coming yes. up for us. What, what's our fight for next week then? Well, I think we should probably review a series of fights because the said fighter that we're going to be looking at, he um, his wins come quick and his losses come even quicker. So uh, I think we'll start off with, obviously, um, big Ron Johnson against Saul Farrow, thriller in Davao. Then we've got to review uh, Saul Farrow against Cesar Mamani. Uh, we've currently got hold of two, two of... Two copies of um, four fights. So we're trying to seek out the other two as well so we can give a detailed breakdown on fights one to four. Um, we found a copy of uh, Farah against Adrian Granat. Uh, I think Andy found a copy of uh, Farah against a Russian guy as well. Yeah. So next week we're going to dedicate the um, dedicate the, the fight review to uh, the big man himself, promoter, referee, matchmaker, cornerman. Cutman. Puts up the yet. rings as well with Mike Goodall. Steve Wellings wakes him up ringside when he's having a snooze at one o'clock. <laughs> Does the light, uh, the seating, yeah. the ticketing. Yeah. Cameraman as well in between rounds. Uh, and it is the big big man himself, Saul Farrow. And he loves a fucking McDonald's like, Jesus Christ. When you see the pictures we'll go for the for the YouTube chat Stop. for next week in the oh my word. The fight poster Rob. the fight poster is like one of those old B movies that you, that you just rented out in the video shop back in the days. The poster is way better than what it looks like when you fucking watch it. Like <laughs> <laughs> Steve, we can we could, we could if we could try and do it, just try and write, re replay these videos on the YouTube uh, where we we're talking about it. I mean, some of this shit, man, it's incredible. Some of the footage. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, I don't know, actually, if we could do that. We could try. You know what my internet's like? <laughs> we could look Steve, into it. Start it out with you and start out those timestamps, will you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I need to the timestamps. Time yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> yeah, that, no, Ames is right. Watch together. We'll try and come up with something if we can. We'll try and come up with something. For old Saul, I think. Uh, yeah, against uh, Caesar Mamani. That's one I'm looking forward to. Right, let's get on with our... Middleweight tournament, then shall we? Let's just get rid of Saul before we do so. Off you go. Let's just drop a bit of Porky in here. You're a hater! There we go. Okay, yeah. then. Smithers really pissed him off this week, eh? Oh, Porky lad. You're a hater! Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, Porky, if you want me on your podcast, it's going to cost you at least four figures, mate. <laughs> Exciting times ahead. Exciting times ahead. I know you're listening, but just go to... Would you come again to Innovation Alloys? <laughs> I'll get you in advance. 
Okay, let's move on to our middleweight tournament, then, shall we? We've got uh, eight competitors have been put together by the one and only, the main man. Let's see if we can find him here, Jason Chukwu. He's talking relevance, as usual, in the chat there about Paul Scholes and Gary Neville. Chukwu has put these eight fighters together, but we have to make a change to the lineup. You will find out that shortly. Fucking wanker. <laughs> made a slight change to the lineup. Let's get on to quarterfinal one then. Gabe's here, Ozzy's here, Andy's here, and rapping Rob Kelly is here. Right, who should we go to first middleweight tournament? Hmm, quarterfinal number one. Andy, I think we'll go with you, shall we? The great Sugar Ray Robinson fought in uh, the UK, as Mike Goodall was reminding us earlier, against Randy Turpin, going in against the one and only Carlos Monzon. Randy Tur uh, sorry, <laughs> Sugar Ray Robinson against Carlos Monzon. Andy, two minutes or less. Um, I'll go Robinson on points. Um, yeah, um, Monzon was usually kind of methodical. Kind of soft hands, but he, he he made it work. He got injections in his shots now. But I just think Robinson was probably. Some people say he, at middleweight he wasn't at his prime, but I still say you know because you know his body work, Basilio, just you know Pender, Castilla, um, Ralph Jones, Graziano, Turpin, as you said, Olsen. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say Robinson on points. Should we go Robinson on points then? Let us move him on to the semi-finals. Okay, quarterfinal number two. Wrapping Rob Kelly. Let's go to you, shall we? Quarterfinal number two is uh, cho all chosen by Jason Chukwu here. I've put them together. Chukwu did pick Vito Antifermo originally, but we replaced him late on with uh, Carlos Monzon in that first one. These two were chosen by Chukwu, though. Jake Lamotta against Kelly Pavlik. Two minutes or less, Rob. Jake Lamotta versus Kelly Pavlik. Jesus. Um, that was a bit of a curveball. Even though I saw the lineup already, that one wasn't resonated with me. Um, I'm going to say Pavlik. I'm going to say Pavlik over 12. Uh, I think he's just going to punch too straight for Jake Lamotta. Jake Lamotta was on a small side for a middleweight as well. Pavlik was a big middleweight. Um, I think the difference in technical style... Um, I couldn't see Lamada beating him down. Oh, maybe Lamada beats him down, Alas Sergio Martinez. But then he was already shot after Hopkins, so we're going prime for prime. I'm going to take Kelly Pavlik um, by points. Kelly Pavlik on points over Jake Lamotta. I saw Kelly Pavlik fight once on an undercard. Good fighter, big, tall, strong prospect back then. Um, he fought against somebody who was actually going to feature in quarterfinal four. Before we get onto that, though, let us go to quarterfinal number three, Gabe. Two minutes or less. Let's see who's going to go into the semis alongside Sugar Robinson and Kelly Pavlik. We have marvellous Marvin Hagler against Sergio Martinez. Gabe, two minutes or less. Marvin Hagler against Sergio Martinez. Um, I'm going to go with Hagler. I, I got to go with Hagler on this one. Uh, I like Sergio Martinez personally as a fighter. I, I prefer watching him uh, a little bit more, but... Um, Certainly think that the the best Marvin Hagler uh, could handle what would be a small guy at middleweight. Um, I feel like Hagler has enough boxing ability and power, especially to deal with anything that Sergio Martinez brings. Okay, marvelous Marvin Hagler moves through to the semifinals. Then, thank you, Gabriel. 
Last but by no means least is with you, Aussie, quarterfinal number four. As mentioning the main eventer there, who Kelly Pavlik was supporting, it was the main man, Bernard Hopkins. He was going in against Oscar De La Hoya on that night. De La Hoya had no business being at middleweight, as we soon found out. His opponent on this night, Hopkins, does have a business being at middleweight. It's the great Gennady Golovkin, Bernard Hopkins versus Gennady Golovkin. Aussie, you've got two minutes or less. Go ahead. Uh, difficult, but I'd probably go with Bernard Hopkins. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic to say that he, he could be one of the best, you know, like pure middleweight since Hagler, something like that. Uh, I think there's, a, there's always an argument with Golovkin that he may lack a standout win. I'm against that. Uh, I think he's beaten pretty much everybody there aside from um, technically on paper Canelo. Uh, we've seen Hopkins, what he can do. I think it will be extremely close. I'm talking Canelo, Golovkin close. Um, I just think perhaps... I think we've seen Hopkins perform against potentially bigger names at middleweight compared to what Golovkin did in what we've seen as Golovkin's prime as well. I think what we've got to remember is that Golovkin's prime, we may well have seen it, you know, wasted. Um you know, is he, was he realistic in his prime two years ago? Even against Kel Brook, probably not. Uh, so I'll probably go with Hopkins on that one, but in an extremely close fight, in my opinion. I'd go with that as well. I think B-Hop would have been, would have, prime B-Hop on his middleweight defence run would have had the age on prime Golovkin on his middleweight defence run, I believe. I love that fight, actually. I, I think it's a great. I don't think it's easy to call. I fucking love it. I thought, but I love it. I just chess match for the first four rounds, battle no. jabs, fucking dirty tactics from B Hop, fucking Golovkin complaining about the dirty tactics. Uh, oh, it's gonna be amazing that one. Man, I, guess, I, I, know, I know Steve's only talking about two minutes and stuff, but honest to God, see if you, honest, I, I beg you to go and watch early day Hopkins at middleweight. Swear mm. to God, man, he loves to go throw off shots. Oh, no, but mate, I'm going back earlier than that. Go back earlier than that. Go back to like before he even fought Roy Jones. What was he, 14, 14 fights at the time over it was? Go back earlier than that. He was, he was fucking, he was, he was like, he was going to war with some of these guys. And that. I'm thinking to myself, that type of Hopkins against Golovkin would be great, you know. But, he um, threw that in with Segundo Mercado, didn't he? He nearly he played the price for it as well. Aye. <laughs> But uh, no, I I could see moments where as uh, where Golovkin, you know, maybe some of the heavy the heavy digs that he's got, maybe just has a wee a wee the impact on Hopkins, maybe the body shots and stuff, especially the left hook, if he can land it. But yeah, you you can see it. It's um, the classic. He's still more against... dead central uh, earlier in his career, Hopkins, compared to what we saw in the late in the last fifteen years. Say earlier on, he stood in front of fellas and he was a punch ah, we, to the body as well. Yeah, it was mid thirties by the time he broke through, though, wasn't he? Yep. So yep. he'd be actually kind of so... mastered his craft. Like, he he kind of knew how he could you know pace himself. But I'm I'm talking like early day Hopkins was fucking. He was good fun to watch. Like I, I kid you not, go back honestly, go back and watch his early fights, very early fights, and you you'll be you'll be well impressed. You'll get a different respect for him actually. I think he'd be. I think he'd steal it out of Golovkin to the body with the straight shots and the holding and resetting and stuff. And by this down the stretch, I think he he just cruise it. 
Okay, boys, let us move on then to the semi-finals. We've got Sugar Ray Robinson, Kelly Pavlik, Marvin Hagler and Bernard Hopkins. I've put them into the little machine and the machine has drawn it out. I know Lee the Alcoholic Foch was saying, if this isn't a Hagler versus Hopkins final, I don't know what will happen, but that might not turn out to be the case. It might be as well. Who knows? Gabe, semi-final number one goes to you. It is Kelly Pavlik against Marvin Hagler. Kelly Pavlik against Marvin Hagler, Gabe. <laughs> uh, God damn. I feel like I'm getting the ones that are toughest for me to choose. All the other ones I didn't feel were that bad. I, I could have made an easy pick on just about any except for the two that I've gotten. Be honest, Gabe, you're feeling obliged to get the Hagler because the Hagler's like top three of all time in that division. I, I, I think so. It's, I, hard, I, it's, 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 just, it's so hard because, you know, you've got this preconceived notion in your head that Hagler is this top, arguably the, the, the greatest middleweight of all time, right? And you think, so can Pavlik actually beat him? It's hard, like. I think Hagler's beard plays a big part there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think so. I, I'm going to go with Hagler on this one, but I feel like it could go, this could be one that goes either way. I think a primed up Kelly Pavlik could have gave him fits, absolute fits. I remember, Tate, was, did he know, did Papa know no, no, Prime Edison Miranda? That was a guy who could who could bang, eh? At that yeah, time. he did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... He, he, Pavlik had some great punching power. I mean, when that son of a bitch let the, let the right hand go, I, I wouldn't well, have the way of it. Well, at the same time, he also saw some fucking balls against Taylor, man. I mean, he 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 got dropped bad. You know, his nose was broken, blood everywhere. He got That's up, one of my all-time great fights. That is, oh, mate, I was ever. I was listening back to PFTP the other week. I was like, fucking hell, that was some fight, dude. That was, you know, he was. I think he was. I think he was even behind in the cards. Uh, Big time. And he come yeah, back as I say, smashed him up big style. And they, hey, who's the man in the middle? Steve Smoker. Yeah, that's the guy you want for a fucking fight to get <laughs> That's what you want, baby. You know, but as I say... Oh, he ain't stopping it. <laughs> oh, oh, but hey, hey, Pavlik was fucking badly hurt. Early in that fight, man, they come back like that and what ends up... Yeah. I'll tell you, be on, respected, that, like, on that fucking Saul Farah fight that you showed me, he would have been begging for Steve Smoker for the part of the referee <laughs> he had. You fucking let him get killed. <laughs> I can't remember what fight it was, but yeah, whenever Lampley says that line, it's so funny. Smoker's the referee and someone's getting the piss beaten out of them. I, I, it might have been Pavlik, I can't remember. And Merchant says something like about the fight getting stopped and Smoger picks the oh. guy up, rubs his gloves and Lampley goes, oh no, he ain't stopping it. <laughs> right, but hang on, on the same commentary, I think um, uh, Lampley's like, he says, uh, Jim, this is a good prize fight. I know that because I've got five spots of blood on my shirt. Oh, I, think it, I think it's Pavlik's blood. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, the alcoholic fraud, said it was Pavlik Miranda. Apparently, that Lampley said that. Those, were the, those <laughs> were the days, man. Those were the days. Okay, hell. Good times. Uh, so, you went for Hagler, Gabriel. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I'm a final answer Hagler. For some reason, Jason Chukwu, a friend of the pod, an all-round good guy who put in these names, is desperate to get Corey Spinks into the conversation. Now, anybody who's oh, not old enough to watch Corey yeah, Spinks, don't, don't go back. <laughs> don't go back and watch any of his fights on YouTube because am I it right in saying, Andy, Corey Spinks is the most boring fucker who's taken to the ring recently. Like, I mean, uh, am I being harsh? Well, I remember, it was a, you know, fight K9 Bunridge at least twice. <laughs> I remember that, and he fought. Did you know lose his title to uh, Urman? Is it Kasimuma? Or did I get that I one wrong? 
I remember he I beat Mayorga after Mayorga had beaten Forrest, isn't that right? I remember he, he, he beat Judah in one of the fights and he got iced in one of the other ones, or he got stopped in the other one. Um, no, Chuck Cruz says Corey Spinks was quality. I remember Corey Spinks being boring, man. Maybe I'm getting yeah, unfair. Corey Spinks, he, he mean, there was two of them. There's Junior and there was Senior. Mm, I don't know. Right. This is the one that beat my Mayorga, I think he's talking about, right? Yeah. But, I mean, he even got, he got beat after Peter Fell Molina as well. Mm. Um, Bundry stopped him. Was, was, it, was it Jermaine Taylor fight? No, the one... No, it wasn't it. That was up at middleweight, wasn't it? Yeah, but I'm trying to think the one where uh, Stewart was losing his shit at, at Taylor. Was it the Spinks fight or was it the Uma fight? I can't remember. I think it might and, have been Spinks, actually. Yeah, but he's right in what you're saying. For what I can think, I think, was, I think Spinks would have had a fair shot of winning that fight, to be honest with you. I can't remember from that era. That's like a blur to me now. But I'm not going back to watch it, like, just to confirm no, your fucking... No, no. Your East Point. I think the, that's the reason why he's put it in there. He said it's because uh, he's the uncrowned lineal champ. So Taylor was a lineal champ, I think, because he beat Hopkins, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Lee, you're right. I saw that. Molina, yeah, he is having a fight next week. I can't remember who's fighting now. Something popped up on the radar. Some, someone else who's shit. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Hagler goes through. Ooh, okay. This is going to be a big one for you. Wrapping Rob Kelly, second semi-final. Sugar Ray Robinson against Bernard Hopkins. Ray Robinson, Hopkins. Well, I can't really argue to give the fight against anybody but Sugar Ray Robinson. Like, if, if, if I think... Um, along with the popular consensus that he's the greatest of all time, then I'd have to say Prime Robinson beats Prime Bernard Hopkins. Something like uh, the first Roy Jones fight. Too much movement, too much boxing IQ, and too many punches. And, you know, giving him Prime for Prime, we're going to go back to my old uh, way of doing this and giving Robinson the benefit <laughs> of the modern diet and training and all that and his natural talent. And I'm going to say he outshines Hopkins over 12 rounds. Any comments, Andy? I know you'll have the final, but any comments before we move on? Yeah, I've got to give it up. No, I mean, end of the day, I think when, when this was made, especially when you gave it to Chuck Wu and that, when, you know, I was going to make the argument not to put Robinson in there at all, actually, because, you know, he is the man, peerless, he's still regarded by, I mean, I'm no, we, we're no historians and stuff, you know, but anybody worth their salt who you listen to, especially boxing-wise, who's been in the game and that, they all say that Robinson was, you know, was the greatest that I've ever watched, you know, or ever seen and stuff. Unless you're fucking that Fleischer, who didn't even come in the, in the top the top three of all time, you know, but it doesn't matter. But Yeah, Robinson would beat... Would beat uh, was it Hagler, eh? Uh, Hopkins. Hopkins, yeah, I would say... Um, 12 yeah, rounds, a, Lee the alcoholic Foch makes a good point. You know, Robinson, his prime was his prime. No, it was well, well, it was yeah, well, pretty much, yeah. And it was never filmed. So, what you got at middleweight and light heavyweight, you know, that's just class. So, it is, man. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to bring Duran up again, but assuming when you got a fighter past his peak weight and he still maintains, you know, you know, these wins and title belts and that, that's, that's, that's greatness, that's, it's just ability and that, it's just class, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. 
So we'll move straight into the final then, Andy. Uh, so Hopkins has gone has gone out. Robinson has gone through, according to rapping Rob Kelly. Let's just go through the previous winners before we do so. The heavyweight tournament was won by Larry Holmes. The cruiserweight tournament was won by Vander Holyfield. Roy Jones Jr. got light heavyweight. James Tony got super middleweight. Who shall get the middleweight? Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson or Marvin Hagler? The final's down to you, Andy. Get the rest of us as well, but I, I'm going to say... <sighs> I'm going to say Robinson and I'm going to leave the, the ending up to everybody else because I'm thinking St. Valentine's Day Massacre and stuff. I'm thinking Bloodbath. I'm thinking Hagler coming out like like he was against Hearns. And I'm thinking about Robinson coming out like he was against Lamotta. And uh, that's sixth fight. And at the end of the day, look, a lot, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast would have seen very little of Robinson. And I'll be honest with you, I've not seen Robinson at well away. I've not seen any footage at all yet. But I've got that St. Valentine's Day massacre, and I've got a few of the, the Basilio, I've got a few other fights in that game as well. I've got the Maxim fight. There is nobody like him. Absolutely. I mean, the guy kind of like keeps a chill buzzer at his time. You know, Rob can probably set it up better than what I can, but, you know, Hagler's to be respected. You know, I just think in the big moments and stuff, like he did, I mean, he shot the bed against Leonard, man. A smaller guy, and he came out and fucking threw away four rounds of that fight before mm-hmm. he decided to change it up. But Robinson. I think Le- Leonard said, Leonard said, uh, you know, sorry about the couple of crossy but just as you said, uh, to set it up, Leonard said um, about his name being Sugar Ray that. He was in no way in the same stratosphere as Sugar Ray Robinson. That he he wasn't in the same planet as him. And I know fighters are supposed to say that, but I think he believed it. Like that he was, you know, honored to have the name and whatever. But he knew he he couldn't live up to to Ray Robinson. And with that said, I'd say is it Ray Robinson Hagler? Yeah, for the final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say Robinson. Like just I could talk for days about Robinson, but just the way he used to set things up. If you look at the, go back and look at the Graziano knockout, he rehearses the shot, then turns him, comes back on the ropes and. Does this does the combination knocks him out, sets up Fulmer for the left hook, keeps tarping up when Ruby Goldstein is going to stop the fight uh, on the bad cut, so he keeps him up on the ropes while he's making Ruby Goldstein jump in to stop it, so to not give Tarpin the chance to get a count and and then win the fight on cut. So just that level of IQ and that's in his post prime era. If most people are to if most boxer writers are to be believed, he actually was in his prime at welterweight, even though there's no footage. So frightening so i would say robinson over hagler of course okay sugar ray beats hagler where have we heard that before sugar ray robinson this time is the middleweight champion uh, yeah well done chukwu he did his best if anybody else wants to throw in any names or any um, brilliant division by the way what a division in history mm. like the middleweight yeah, divisions i was just gonna Absolutely say that. i mean brilliant. i mean you could have thrown you could have thrown and said basilio you could have maybe put turpin sardan zeo graziano um Who's the one that after Monzo and uh, Valdez, Rodrigo Valdez, you can throw him. Griffith, you put him in there. Benvenuti. You know, a strong lineage here, actually. You know, fucking Stanley Ketchel and all these guys, but I don't know how they would kind of fear. Well, it's difficult, isn't but, it? You yeah. really are comparing like eras against know. eras, 100 yeah. years ago. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Eddie Stiverne's having a go about the fact that Robinson and Hagler are from such different eras. Now, I'm just going by what was chosen. Chukwu did a good job. If you've noticed in the past few weeks, I'm sure the guys have, haven't really gone that far back in the past. You know, we've only sort of gone back into the 90s, maybe to the 80s, to try and avoid that. So, 
if you want to throw in the lighter middleweights next well, week, Eddie Stavern, then then we'll we'll do it. As I say, well, Eddie Stavern, I mean, as I say, I just say that there, you know, maybe you're one of the guys who hasn't watched a lot of Robinson, or if you have, have you really sat and watched them? So I reckon when you go do, go do, go back and do it, just go back and watch them. Because that guy set the fucking he- uh, the heather on fire by it. That guy was unbelievable. Go even watch him skipping. Watch him training even. Watch some of the training footage of him. Your mind will be blown. Like, see him with a skipping rope and all that. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it seems easy. Seems easy in the chat, but Chuck Wu stepped up and threw them in. As I say, we're going through all the weight divisions, so light middleweight, well to weight, right all the way down. As I say, we might struggle by the time we get down to the flyweights and stuff like that. I can't wait. I can't wait to get down to minimum weight like you need it. <laughs> you need to do it. That's it's fucking boxing, man. You know, you fucking create all this shit, all these divisions. So, well, when it comes to the flyweights, if they don't have Duke McKenzie and Dave Boy McCarley in the lineup, you're going to struggle to get anything out well, of me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's better put up the do well, make the most of the remainder of this lockdown and start looking at these fights down at the lower weights and that because you're going to fucking have to put your point across. It's just a bit of fun at the end of the day. Get things yeah. talking. If anybody wants to throw any names in, do so. If you've got any problems, then throw them in the YouTube and let us know in the comments and tell us what you think. It's just we're just trying to keep things rumbling along. Let us get on to belly of the weeks for episode. What are we on again? Three seven four. Let's see what we've got on the old phone. I'm sure the guys have got a few to throw in. Yeah, Kel Brook. Maybe Kel Brook will make an appearance in the light middleweight tournament. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Uh, first nomination is for Rich Diggs, nominated by War Tugboat. Rich Diggs says if and when Errol Spence goes toe-to-toe with DSG and beats him, first fight after the accident, it'll be time to start mentioning Spence with the welterweight greats. Only Thurman and Crawford would stand in his way of being mentioned with Sugar Ray Leonard, Hearns, Trinidad, etc. Says Rich Diggs, who's been nominated. Fucking <laughs> 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 hell, man. Danny, I went over Danny Swift, guys, see you. Oh, fucking hell. Putting Rob Kelly on notice there. Joseph Coney has nominated Mayweather Promotions, as has Danny Robson, talking about Jazab Judah and Miguel Cotto. Tony Watt is getting in on the boxing scene. He's been nominated by SD7, plus a load of other people. Michael Martin said Michael Jordan is in the elite category with Ali, hashtag the last dance. Tony Watt jumped in and said Ali isn't the best boxer ever. Floyd is. So he has spoken. Martin Hurry has nominated Jesse James. Finally, somebody in boxing, Mike Tyson, gives... Uh, Conor McGregor, the credit he deserves versus Mayweather. Conor won a handful of rounds off the top of my head. I think I had it 5-4 to Conor going into the 10th. Conor won the first four. He won round nine, in my opinion. If it had gone 12 rounds, it would have been the worst scorecards of all time, says this Jesse James character. Uh, Cocaine Dawkins has nominated the World Boxing Council. This was an interest, uh, interesting one, Gabe. And if you saw this one during the week from the WBC, they've been putting up fantasy matches. Who would win this one? Ruthless Power versus Smooth Technique, Gabe. Tyson Fury against Eric Butterbean Esh. Who you got? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the winner of that is going to be the person that sticks my fucking eyes with a fork so I have to watch it. What a fucking idiotic thing to say. Fuck the WBC. People wonder why people fucking hate the WBC. If anyone ever asks you, why do you dislike the WBC? You can point to that one single tweet and not have to say anything fucking else. Nothing. Zero. Literally nothing else at all. And people will under-fucking-stand why some of us hate the WBC. Jesus fuck. You've got to be kidding me. 
I don't, I don't even. I'm not even going to dignify that with, with a fucking response. Fuck that. No response from Gabe. Radio silence. Uh, Porky Russ has nominated the YouTubers. Uh, Michelle Joy Phelps, Coogan Cassius, Radio Raheem, talking to Marcos Villegas, apparently about this, that and the other, who knows. Uh, Sonny Edwards says, I've got some free time, ask away about fights. Gary1717315, just rolls off the tongue there, says, go up in weight, Sonny, use your movement and skills to batter Devin Haney. Yeah, Sonny, Sonny Edwards, <laughs> moving up in weight to use his movement and skills to batter uh, Devin Haney, apparently. Uh, Ted Barrett, friend of the pod, has uh, thrown that one in as well. Uh, boxing scene has been nominated by Marcus Bellinger. Fl- uh, Conor McGregor talking about Mayweather. Early rounds were all mine. Later rounds, I outlanded him. Uh, George Rogers has nominated Danny Maris for saying uh, Mayweather-esque. I can't remember the fighters he was talking about. I think it was Anthony Fowler, actually. Anthony Fowler was giving a bit of headwork, and uh, Danny Maris said it was Mayweather-esque. <laughs> Maybe he means uh, Roger. Uh, Amir Khan has been nominated by a few different people. Uh, for distributing disturbing food boxes to the families in Peterborough, the Amir Khan Foundation. Please support the Amir Khan Foundation on just giving a bit of a typo from Amir there. Disturbing food boxes. What's disturbing about it, Andy, do you think? Um, if Amir says it's disturbing, goodness knows what could be inside those food boxes. Um, I don't know what was... I wasn't following it, to be honest with you, actually. I was kind of more worried about Amir Khan, kind of like speaking about, you know... You know, he's no really sort of the his trainer yet and stuff like that. He feels like he can be trained himself. Yeah, that's not going to end well. Like, he should be retired, and that's, that's the end of the case. So, if he retires, he can devote himself to more of this, you know, charity work. So, come on. Come on, Amir. Dish out some more disturbing food boxes. Maybe his Skype contact details are inside them. Uh, Sean Stevo. Probably washed his hands after. <laughs> Probably. His sex tapes. Says Swaggy Taggy. Sean Stevo has nominated Anthony Fowler. Give these two free CBD for life on me, he says. And then a couple of Dolly Birds were pictured. Uh, Kaiser Cobra has nominated George Foreman, getting caught out by a Chinese correspondent, Sumting Wong. They're saying George is one of the best speakers out there. Uh, Joe Kennedy, friend of the pod. I haven't seen Joe in the chat tonight. Hope you're well, Joe. Has nominated Fight Disciples. Prediction, Mike Tyson will get a shot at the WBC heavyweight title before Dillian White. Well, you never know. Might come true. Uh, shout out to these boys, Andy, that were going viral on Twitter this week. The the casuals. We don't quite know what they said or who they are. <laughs> but I've been, enjoying the, I've been enjoying their words. Oh, I, you just know they'll have to fucking stab a prick in their arse, by the way, with fucking, you know, the jacked up with the juice. But I, I don't know... I just kind of followed in, and, and there's a kind of joke in that. So I think they're like what, match from casuals and stuff like that, you know. So basically, AJ is the greatest of all time, and Ali when it's not a chance and stuff. But the one, the one, the, the one sitting to the left with the fucking short trousers, now man, that guy needs fucking struggle up and shot and you know, horsewhip, man. What the fuck are you gonna be like that for? He's, he's wearing a t-shirt that's like six sizes too small for him. He's like he shrank the fucking trousers in the fucking wash. He's probably got his balls strapped to his ass because it's had fucking tight. He's not wearing any socks now, that fucking dick. You know, his plus he's got the hair bleached and he's looking like f- he's like, he's got no neck. And plus he's got that said silly fucking t-shirt wrapped up, fucking buttoned up to the fucking neck. What a fucking what a nonce. <laughs> any dress sense advice? Wrapping Rob Kelly seventeen on the streets of Wexford wouldn't have gone out looking like this, no. Yeah, put a pair of socks on you. Get your date. <laughs> They've been taking advice from Floyd, maybe. There's no red yeah. hot. 
And we all know Floyd likes a red hat. Floyd loves a Turkey red hat. must be booming. Turkey must be booming, man, even with the COVID, with all the boys flying out to get their teeth done. Like, fucking hell, keep the economy booming over there. Maybe getting the beards done at the, the British Hair Clinic. Shout out. Uh, Trading Leather Boxing in the chat has nominated Anthony Fowler. Fowles came out on Instagram and said, Good deeds should be done with intention, not for attention. Wise words from Fowler. Trading Leather says, Is this the same bloke who uploads screenshots and tells us how many free bottles of CBD is given away each week? A good, solid point there. Uh, Amo Williams apparently has been nominated by David Almond, beating the absolute shit out of someone in sparring that clearly has never boxed before. I don't think the guy even swung one punch. Absolutely disgusting. Where do you boys stand on this? Well, I that was shocking. I Benson put up the footage as well, I think. Well, Benson's a twat. Um, but... <laughs> Big nose twat. He's t- well, he had a nose like fucking froch for a hell, didn't he? <laughs> the video itself was wrong. Um, I... I just I don't get what goes through fighters' heads. Fine, if you're going to spar people like that, you shouldn't be doing it anyway. And more on the trainers allowing it, but don't go and put it on online because you must know what response you're going to get. And it isn't going to be good on you for beating up a helpless guy who is clearly out of his depth. It's just, it's stupid. And that is where people get hurt. Look. There's enough stories and, you know, and incidents that have happened recently from where things have happened in the ring and people have died from it. So when you're seeing lad, blokes, you know, completely out the depth sparring, you know, with clearly talented fighters, it's not what you want to see. And it can just lead to more accidents. So the guy should be punished uh, for what whatever happens. You know, I mean, look, it's pointless in punishing him now because... You can ban him for three months and fuck all's going to happen. But something should happen to him. Uh, and likewise, the trainers as well. Because, unless yeah, like you said, the trainers, like, yeah, no fuck, any, any gym you come up around, if there's a mismatch in sparring, they stop it straight away and bring someone else in. Like, yeah, that's, that's fucking common protocol. Like, so what the fuck is he doing? Like, say this, like, yeah, it's, it's wrong. So, look, we'll see what happens, but who knows? Who knows? But the guy, the guy should be punished. The trainers should be certainly punished as well. And fingers crossed we don't see anything like that again. Okay, nomination for Amo Williams then. Uh, Jake Patrick, as, at Smiggers Titties IFL, has nominated Daniel Borton, talking about the Chisora-Usik fight. If Usik shows up like this, he will blow... Uh, sorry, if Chisora shows up like this, sorry, he will blow Usik away. The poor little lad's never weighing in more than 15 and a half without just packing away donuts. Uh, Andrew G has nominated Fight Takes at Fight Breakdowns. An absolute dumpster of a fire take, says Andrew. Uh, fight Take says ha- Marvin Hagler is an all-time great, but if he goes in rushing all wild against Canelo, he's going to be missing and getting countered all night. Uh, Marcus Bellinger has nominated the WBC president, who backs Mike Tyson's return and says he would rank him. The uh, zone has been nominated I as well. I fucking bet he would, by the <laughs> way. Of course he would. Oh, fucking legends Don King title. On the phone, by the <laughs> way, she's always get the band back together again, boys. Eh, fucking Jesus Christ. Don King and fucking he, he didn't dig up the old man, old Jose. He fucking try and screw over a few fucking fighters. Get Buster Douglas out the fucking diabetic coma for a change, you know. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Good old Mauricio, absolute legend. Uh, Eddie Hearn has been nominated for wanting to give the fans what they want. It depends, Eddie. Be careful what you ask for. I'm sure the fans might want something different. But we've got to come back anyway with a schedule that sports fans like. We can't afford weak fights anymore, says Eddie. Uh, Martin Horry has nominated Javonta Davis. I might be going to jail today. 
<clears throat> excuse me, says Javonta. Uh, Lee Mert uh, is looking forward to refereeing Danny Williams against Lee Kellett in Aberdeen. It's been a while since I've seen any boxing, says Lee. Well, I wouldn't uh, count your chickens too much. You're going to see any of that night. Uh, Danny Cassius Connor has been nominated. I think, Andy, you've been going in on him. He's been going <laughs> in on he's been going in on hardcore helmets like us, apparently. I thought, what did he say again? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I heard that he was he was going in on hardcore helmets and he was giving it the old, if you haven't never boxed, you, you don't deserve an opinion type thing. I've and... seen something last night. I, f- I forget what it was in that. He basically said, why are people writing off Derek Chisora against Alexander Uzik and that that last night they should have been fighting and that he would have put some bets on and had they have won, he'd have put all of the winnings on Chisora to beat Uzik and the people who were writing off Uzik don't have a clue and the fools. Sorry, writing off Chisora uh, don't have a clue and the fools and that Uzik's never been hit by a heavyweight and all Chisora needs to do is uh, get on his chest and throw as many shots as he can. Just completely writing off Uzik, essentially. Oh, shit. I just had one in for Bellew. Oh. Hey, put me on there because I'm backing Dale. I think Dale's going to beat him. Fucking Ooh. hell. Gabe has spoken. Steve, this Bellew one just came in. It's fucking brilliant. Go on. So he's basically he's, he's oh, tweeted out there. This. <laughs> Did you see this? 8th of April, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tony Bell, you if you're one of them people in the parks just sitting off and socialising, you're a selfish prick. I've got four kids and they love nothing more than to go to the park, but as I've explained to them, we have to think about others, do the right thing, hashtag stay home, save lives. Red Diesel responds, Tony, not all people have big luxury homes to spend time in together. Some people are stuck in bed sits or one bedroom flats with three or four kids. Can't blame for waiting to get a break. Tony replies, try going to Kenya, biggest slum, and that one bedroom flat will seem like fucking Buckingham Palace. People need to understand the dangers of the non social distance and stay at home. Love <laughs> Tony. Just shut the fuck up, like, leave up. him alone, man. Just leave him alone. <laughs> Gonna have to put him up here to celebrate. I love a bit of Tony. There we go. Oh, <laughs> he's an absolute car crash, isn't he? Nomination for the big man himself. A few more from me here. Uh, Andy, you were getting involved on this. Ryan Garcia launches his YouTube channel, wants to shock the world. You had some interesting ideas about what content Ryan might be putting up. Yeah, maybe Donnie, seven year old, bathed in tears. I can see it right now, actually. But I, I see he's going to be with the pillow under his T-shirt and stuff, you know. It was some decent content by Young Garcia and that, but it's clearly bored that he's crying him like the rest of us like. So the sooner he's back fighting, the better, to be honest with you. Yep, certainly. Uh, Tommy Cahill has nominated Dillian White. <clears throat> Me and Tyson Fury sparred and I bashed him up about and dropped him on multiple occasions. Simple as that, says Dillian. Uh, the last round put up a message. Oh, God, you're not going to like this one, Andy. Complete this sentence. The most overrated boxer in history is blank. And no boxing, no life jumped in and said, Roberto Duran, easy. He's not what they make him seem. Ron Jones, Michal, jumped in and said, contender for Bellew of the year, let alone Bellew of the week. Who's they or who's them? This is no boxing, no life, no mass, who said that Roberto Duran is the most overrated boxer in history. He's not what they make him seem. Yeah, but who's that? Who, who's going to make them like what they seem? I mean, Christ's sake. <laughs> Are you fucking I mean, serious, man? I mean, honestly, God, people always come back to me and say, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a big Duran fan, right? everybody knows, but people come out and say, oh, he quit against fucking Leonard in the second fight. Right, okay, he did. But are you really going to hold that against him, mate? A guy who, as I say, is cleaned out lightweight, greatest, one of the greatest of all times at lightweight. So that was a Hall of Fame career alone for a 135, right? Beats Leonard, who's pound for pound, like, one or two at a time. Quits in the rematch, people are like, ah, well, he fucking quit. He quit. That's what you say all the time. But tell me something. He come back and redeemed himself, I think. And to be honest, you can't say that Jones a fucking quitter, man. Fuck sake, look who he fought. Look at him versus Hydro. Look at him versus Hydro over 15 minutes. But a broken hand as well. Yeah, Broke his hand in that fight. Yeah, and, and fucking Tommy Hearns is the only one that ever fucking starts him, and that's Tommy Hearns. Like, fuck me, man. And then beat Iran Bagby for the middleweight fucking title when he's 10 years, 15 years past his prime. Like, fuck off. I think you've got to look at it over the longevity of a career because we mentioned it last week, didn't we? We were talking about Morales Pacquiao. You could look at Morales and say, oh, he quit or whatever. But I mean, look at the, the nights that these, these people are given. Look at Vitaly Klitschko. Lavi Merchant went in on him, called him a, a, a European quitter and everything. And then he went toe to toe with Lennox Lewis with his eye hanging off. Put your hands the greatest lightweight that ever lived. Fucking bar, Benny Lynch, if you want to go back that, that far. But widely regarded as the greatest lightweight ever lived. And not taking into account what he did after that. Like, the fuck are they talking about? He's not what they say he is. Well, what is he then? Like, fuck off. Well said, Rob. Right, any others, guys? Andy, you throw him one in. Any additional values? Just Broner, mate, for saying about the 10 million, unless <laughs> he, he, he's going to become a full time rapper, unless he's over 10 million. Who the fuck does he think he is? Seriously. Who the fuck does he think he is? The fucking B.A. Baracus wannabe looking twat. Fucking idiot. I haven't heard of Stephen Espinosa. Me, me and Big Al, we want to talk, we talk every day, but ain't nobody talking about 10 million. So I take that I'm just still retired. <laughs> so that's why he's eating the fucking hot dogs. Who would have IG. to be the opponent? Who would the opponent have to be for Adrian Broder to get 10 million? Yeah, me and a heavyweight. Yeah, fuck exactly. Fucking 10 million. Fat fuck. Another nomination for AB. Uh, Ozzy, any nominations from you? Uh, yeah, a couple. One for uh, at Walsall underscore Ram on Twitter. Uh, odds changer, a betting account, basically put out Eddie Hearn, Dana White, Bob Arum and Frank Warren uh, to rank them in order of who is the best at their, uh, you know, who are the best out of the promoters. He ranked Edward at number one, uh, Dana White at number two. Uh, he put Bob who, so he'd never heard of Bob Arum, and then Frank propping up the pile. So Bob Arum, arguably probably one of the most biggest names in boxing, promoter-wise as well. Walsall Ram has never heard of him, and then basically said he's a nobody in a in a in a future tweet. And then uh, Danny Cassius Connor comparing uh, Derek Chisora. Um, his prediction of Chisora to beat Uzik is like Peter McDonough beating Michael Gomez. And people laugh that off as well. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm Bob Arum, like, Bob Arum who made Fraser Ali and Manny Floyd. <laughs> Fuck's sake, number three. Might not be making too many fights more. Uh, I'm not because of his age, but is, uh, is, uh, ugh, aren't top, back up, top rank up for sale or something? Looking to flog them off, aren't they? Are they? Yeah, I've heard that's who, who might buy them? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you never know. Maybe there's a buyer in the midst ready to snap them up, Rob, you know? Say them all. We should sell our pod and use the proceeds on that top rank. Yeah. If it goes to purse bids, I think I'll leave, the, leave it to the other fella. Right. Ben Wiseman <laughs> Industries. Yeah. Ben Wiseman Industries, indeed. Any other nominations, uh, Rob, from you? Any nominations for Belly of the Week, Robert? Yeah, no, just Eddie for that one where he said it was his boyhood dream to host fights in his dad's back garden. What the fuck? He'd say anything, like absolutely anything. He doesn't because she said that. Like he was selling that to the, you know, it's been a dream of mine. And now to finally, I used to look out here as a boy and now to finally have this realization that it's going to happen. He never thought that in his life. Don't fucking tell me you look out to the garden and you're like, Jesus, if Lewis and Bruno could get it on here, it'd be fucking amazing. What the fuck is he talking about? Like, so yeah, one for Eddie. And Bellew, that, that late one for Bellew was absolutely brilliant as well. Bellew's always good for a nomination. Gabe, any from you? No, not from me. Nothing from Gabe. Right, let's go around the peeps and see who's got what. I'll Steve Bronner. You. Sorry, Steve. Bronner yeah, yeah, yeah. has to get it yeah. for the 10 He has to get it, doesn't he? Like, sorry. Bronner. So, so you're going for AB, yeah? I'm going for Amir Khan. I like his disturbing food boxes. He loves a typo, doesn't he, Amir? He always puts his foot in it, and he just comes out of it every single time. He's naive, he's innocent. Uh, yeah, disturbing food boxes. God knows what's in them. I'm going for Amir. One for Amir, one for AB, Andy. Who are you going for? Bill, you. No, Bruno. Bruno. Two for Bruno. Uh, Ozzy? Uh, I'm going for the the group of casuals who went viral across the uh, boxes this week. <laughs> Some of the comments on them were excellent. <laughs> I do wonder if they've actually seen themselves just basically being ripped to shreds. So someone yeah, said they found one of them, didn't they? I think on Twitter. Oh, I've no idea. I'm not sure. Send me the link, man. Send me the link. I'm going to say uh, something. Uh, during the week, I'm sure somebody said they'd tracked down one of them, whether they had or not. I don't know. So Please. yeah, the group, the group of those lads who were uh, who were outside for whatever some bar or something, they win it for me. I mean, honestly, especially the one to the right with the with the big fucking, tip, you know, Timmy Mallet fucking glasses on and stuff like that. I mean, who who the fuck decided that it was all right to go like that? Nipped off a fucking word with them. Jesus Christ! You dressed a fucking power cut, you useless cunts. And they're the going to go be the shagging and Andy with his tattooed throat. You can't beat a tattooed throat. Oh, tattooed fuckwit, man. It tells you that just basically tells you he's got the IQ of a fucking biscuit, idiot. Tattoo in the throat. I want to drop kick out in the fucking throat, the idiot. <laughs> Nomination for the casuals, then two for AB, one for Amir. <laughs> Go on, then, Gabe. Have you got a tattooed throat, Gabe? What's that? Have you got a tattooed throat? I could see you with a tattoo <laughs> under the ear. No, I don't want to be one of those Scorpion. guys that comes off as a tattooed, uh, as a fucking biscuit. Come on, Gabe, who are you going for? Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go... Um, uh, I don't know. Lots of good ones. Uh, who, what's the vote so far? Uh, we've got two for AB, one for the casuals, and one for Amir Khan. Man, I'm going to... I'm going to tie it up with the casuals. Oh. Interesting. 
I remember seeing a guy once, Gabe, and he'd asked for two scorpions to be tattooed on the side of his neck, as you do, and whoever had done it had tattooed two lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of like, uh, who was it? Uh, shit, somebody had a tattoo of a, of a scorpion, and it was a fighter, and it was in one of the oh, 24-7s or something like that. And the uh, it was Kodo, uh huh. And he had gotten he had got when he got all the all the tons of tattoos, you know, all over him. And and they covered up the scorpion because it looked like a lobster. That fat guy that he was always running around with, you know, made fun of him because it looked like a lobster. Talking about spectacular tattooed fuckwits, who was Sam Eggington, by the way? Barry Barry Hearn's love child. He has a tattooed throat. So did Javonta Davis. They're all in these days. What about a tattooed beard? Get the beard tattooed on. I can see Tyler Goodjohn getting the fucking old penis tattooed as well in that, you know. Oh, actually, that's a lot. Oh, here we go, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So he he announced a What's It Called. He's obviously taken up uh, during lockdown the role as becoming a porn star with his uh, porn star wife. That is it. A lesser savage or something. His misses. Anyway, um, after announcing their engage- after announcing their engagement about three weeks ago or something like that, they've now separated. Oh, uh, and he's oh, gone on. Just, he's still he's staying in the industry. Uh, they just had too much bad blood. But he uh, he called out all of his followers who decided to unfollow him due to the graphic content that he was putting up. So he's created a new account now just for his. Uh, just for his porn star followers. Oh dear, they're creating some distance between themselves then. Just the ten inches social distancing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh what? I tell you what. For what I've seen of her, by the way, kicking, kicking about. Jesus Christ, Tyler was was he was he was punching a bit there because, as I say, he, you know, barely touched the sides. Gotta man. be. He barely it's touched be rough the Conversations over dinner though, hasn't it? Like when you're married to the porn star, like you know what I mean. It's gonna be tough, like. How was your day? Yeah, I don't want to hear about your day, yeah. do I? Yeah. Yeah, well, honey, honey, I had something that was six inches longer and five <laughs> inches broader. Yeah, there was a few of them there today. No, we were busy, busy all day. Yeah. <laughs> Talking of sex symbols, Chukwu is back on Judge Judy again, Bob. Literally or figuratively, or what's the crack with that? Oh, I'm not sure. He loves a bit of Judge Judy. <laughs> He's like that weirdo Taylor who loves Priscilla Presley, but I must say Priscilla's looking well even these days. Judge Judy. He likes an authoritative figure. Does he? That would cool. See, maybe she could bang the hammer down on him. <laughs> right, let's let's move on. Who won again? Uh, oh, I think AB got two, didn't he? And the casuals got two, so it's a... It's a draw. Give it to the casuals. Why not, man? They're not. They're not going to get ten million like AB. <laughs> Fuck you off. <laughs> Fuck you if AB gets ten million for his next, say next three fights, I'll, uh, I'll donate an amount to charity. Right? That's never going to happen. Ten million. Fuck sake, man. The world's the world's has hit the biggest recession since the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, or whatever it is. And he's wanting ten million dollars. Fuck million. off, you fucking. The casuals fuck. are up there. The casuals look like them type of fellas that had no fucking what to call it game or whatever when they were in secondary school, and then they get to fucking college and realize that you can get all pumped up on the stage and get some veneers and turkey and tattoo your throat, and you can get garner some attention in the nightclub. 
So it's a fast track to get the hop, but if you're really the man, you should be able to get it in a pair of beat up brothers and a beer belly, alluding to nobody. Uh, <laughs> what a shower! Of, what a shower of cunts! That's <laughs> the God. that's the that's the they're the young they're the, what's the way they do it? That's the uniform these days, isn't it? Like you have to have the no socks and the fucking pearly whites and the tattoo on your neck. Absolute <laughs> fucking fuds. They probably and, they probably pull girls to the one side and they say, "Oh, I want to see where your head's at," and all you know. That's the way to talk, isn't it? I'll show you where my head goes. Hey, hey Andy, you said you would donate to charity if AB got the ten million. What about donating to I Fight for You on the Cash App? I heard that's a good charity. Aye, aye, <laughs> aye. And he's a, a monthly subscriber to that one. He is. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking aye. I'm gonna pay ten million to that. Yeah. Twat, man. Honestly, God, I can't. Honestly, I just wish I lose a good beard, but I just want something to knock about and just like that. That that'd be him finished. He'd be a journeyman after that. Seriously, he'd, just, he'd be like a paid gun for hire, or he'd be like washed up in the street in the gutter, and then that'd be it. Yeah, normally, and I could just laugh at him know, for the rest of my life. He's one of these fuckers who's always going to get work. I think as long as he can stand, you know. Oh, I don't know. Something he's he's borderline journeyman now. Like, what is he? Lost four out of his last five or something. Like, he's fucking not far away from journeyman as it is. Like, <laughs> never know. Okay, let's finish up then. Casuals, congratulations, <clears throat> AB. You can share the award with AB this week, Belly of the Week, for episode 374. Thank you to everybody who's been on this evening. Good crack as usual. We had Gabe back with us with a bang. Ozzy Smith, Andy Patterson, rapping Rob Kelly, as always. Thanks to our guests, Mike Goodall. And Callum Johnson, who joined us a couple of hours ago. We'll catch you all for episode 375. Thank you to everybody who's been in the chat. We've enjoyed having your company. Don't forget to uh, keep uh, two metres away from each other there, boys. I've been Steve Wellings. We'll catch you all for episode 375. Same time, same place next week. Bye. Fats mega. Wankers. Sports Social Podcast Network.